Taylor. Yeah. You know who that is? No, I don't actually. You don't know who that is? No, I know. I, it's going to be is, like you. This you, is my moment. This is my song. It's going to be like you two or something. It is you two. Very good. Yeah. You got that. Yeah. Favorite band of all time. Um, maybe my favorite song. I was thinking the intro to Streets Have No Name would have made a better intro. Mm-hmm. But this is probably my favorite song. Oh. And when VH1 did their top 100 songs in the 1990s. Yeah. This is number two. Number two? Yep. What was number one? Uh, well, it was a sermon illustration a couple times. Oh. Oh. Um, it was the song. Other song? That Jamie played at our 25th birthday. 25th birthday. Remember what it was? It's the man who made the 90s. Yeah. He added a genre to music. Added a genre? Yeah. Is it a Nirvana song? Yep, it's Nirvana. Yeah. Smells like Teen Spirit, number one. Yeah. Well, um, this is so fitting because on this, not last day we said, but on this final day of regularity of recording this podcast right, together, yes, yes. Um, we I, I get to include a song from my favorite band, which is within the larger theme of Irish. Yeah, St. Patrick's Day. Yeah, we're going towards St. Patrick's Day, so we're honoring Irish artists. Yeah. And um, we got to use my favorite at the end. Yeah. What a good one. Thank you for that song. You know what else? Um, I mean, the band was my favorite for existential reasons since like 1987. Right. My brother would bring home this video from Northwood's Video Store every day. Uh Um, And we'd watch Rail and Hum. Actually, he'd watch it. I would sneak over the balcony of our house and watch it from upstairs. But um, so they were deep in my heart from the beginning. Um, But um, you know how like certain bands can be like a soundtrack for your life yeah of the significant moments that you two played in my life the first time i ever saw them live uh-huh. was 2005 okay october 29th that was a saturday and the reason i know that so vividly is because the next morning is when kyle died oh wow yeah wow so i think like that song is, feels a little tender sometimes too yeah um, not that that was like the featured song of that sh- sh- uh, show, but it just is conflated in the many memories of I have right, of you two in the significant moments of my life. Yeah, of course. So, well, hey, that was sort of a downer intro. Yeah. Um, I don't mean it for do downer. I love you too, though. And I, no, I yeah, love the song. I think anytime you love something, it's like, it is kind of fun, even yeah. if it's like yeah. a little bit of a downer. But uh, we're going to do a flip-flop on our show because flip-flop. we feel like we may have some listeners outside the norm who are really here for the star of today, which is Dr. Holly Oxhandler, yes. who is not actually with us right now. We're just recording this intro. We're going to yeah. talk to her. We're going to record the uh, throwaway part of our show, I call it, the weekend roundup, and put that on the back end so we don't have to bore um, listeners who are just, just here to hear Holly. So yeah. with that, we say um, welcome Dr. Holly Oxhandler. Yeah. Oh my gosh, Tay, are you so excited? So excited. Well, we're here with Dr. Holly Oxhandler. Woohoo! Mm, hi! Holly, let's do this right away. Um, I know the terminal degree within social work is considered the MSW, is that right? That's correct. But you're a doctor. I am. You and John Singletary. Yes. And David Pooler? Uh-huh. All PhDs. Yep. Am I missing anybody else in that department? Uh, Cheryl Pooler. She's oh, a wow. DSW. Power couple. Yeah. Paradox. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my gosh! <laughs> that was for all the nerds out there. It's yeah. amazing. So, um, what what did you write in, and where did you get yours from? Yeah, my uh, my MSW and my PhD, and actually my bachelor's in science, are all from University of Houston. 
Wait a second. Oh, I did read that intro. Oh, did you? Now, you know the very next question I'm going to ask. Yes. Which I probably have already, but I forgot. It's okay. How big of a deal was she when you were there? Um, she, because you just she don't even need to say her name. That's a subtle <laughs> nod for committed listeners who know the, the field. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so. Name. So many caveats. So, um, so I'm assuming you're referring to Brene Brown. Is that her name? I forgot. Yes, that yeah, is her name. I forget. I think. I <laughs> um, yeah, she was, so she was an, um, she was an emerging loud voice in okay. our area but I remember um like during orientation for my MSW program I remember her speaking about her shame resilience theory I remember her talking with us about that and then the semester that I took her class as an MSW student was um actually it was the same month as she recorded her first TED talk in June 2010 I was gonna oh, wow. ask yeah where, where was, was your <laughs> where were you in relation to the TED talk that's really the question yeah well that I mean I was in her classroom like a week after she did that TED talk and then um a couple years later during my PhD program I got to be her teaching assistant um, like when she was teaching that class for like a future cohort so um Taylor I'm sorry I'm hogging the mic so much here at the beginning (laughs) I just get excited about the the interconnectedness of all this it's okay it's a small world um yeah Holly uh you know I was just thinking you mentioned her shame based resilience research shame resilience theory uh-huh um well we she is uh-huh. we are all heart triad people yes that's the three right. of you are twos and i'm a three that's right um and i was thinking so that's that's our right co- that's our connective point right yes so the the heart triad is the shame based as yep. opposed to the the wrath and then remind me again it's the fear fear yeah um so that's fun also i was noting about how gifted she is of course at communicating yeah and yeah. i was thinking then um both of you guys are too Aww. And do you think that's because twos, because I think sp- speakers that struggle to speak do it because they try and put something other than themselves up front mm. and it takes them a while to find themselves. But I think twos are so gifted at getting there quickly. Do you guys agree? Ooh, I don't know. Well, one, I don't know. I know she's, she has come out, so I know I'm not saying anything new, but she actually identifies with a type one. I don't know if you that's knew that. That's not right. That's incorrect. Oh, okay. Well, but, but keep fine. going. Okay. Well, anyways. <laughs> Wait, what? Um, you know, like for sure. No, I don't know for sure. I just okay. didn't want to be wrong. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, so, so your question was like, is it easy to to speak? In- well, then fine. I, I withdraw my compliment for her, and I give it only to you and Taylor. <laughs> let's just let's just talk about twos. Aww. And but you know, like when I started preaching, my biggest sin was I was trying to be Burt Burleson. Oh. And um, I, when I got yeah. better at it, I found myself. And I think yeah. that is, I mean, of course, there's a lot of rhetoric that goes into it being effective. But yeah. I think the number one thing is people failing to just put themselves out there and being yeah. them. Yeah, I, I understand. And I agree with that. I think, though, as, a, as, as someone who identifies with type 2 on the Enneagram, and Taylor, I would love to hear what, what you think yeah. about this, too. But I uh, um, I think sensing a lot of people's feelings in the room and in the group when I'm speaking is something that can easily trip me up when I'm like intuiting what other people. Um, yeah. And so it sometimes it can be actually kind of tricky because I'm it's hard for me to know what I'm feeling in that moment because I'm so connected to what other people are feeling. I think I think some of it for me is like um, I can't feel other people's feelings and I because I know that will mess me up yeah, uh-huh. and so I have to be really committed to the things that I'm saying like uh-huh. I have to have a real commitment yes. Yes. that is like 
And it doesn't matter what anyone's feeling like. Mm-hmm. This is what you put in your manuscript. Mm-hmm. This is what you believe. Mm-hmm. This is what you're going to say to this mm-hmm. group of people gathered yep. before yep. you. And so it is, I just have to have a real, I've never thought about it before in that way. Yeah. But it, I do have that sense Yeah. that it has to do with just saying what I believe and committing to that mm-hmm. before I like do it. Mm-hmm. That makes me feel very validated for all the PowerPoints that I've like over, you know, prepared for yeah, yeah. and yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. over preparing when it comes to. Well, speaking. and the over preparing is that the, the the repression, the thought repression stuff coming out, or is that um just the the stage itself that does that? Um, um, I think oh, for me, me, some of it is like I know in oh, the moment I will overthink. Mm-hmm. And so it's like I have to be over prepared mm-hmm. so that I don't so that like when I start doing that I can just mm-hmm. refocus mm-hmm. and not. But don't you also spiral. think that when and I don't know if this is the mechanism by which it happens for twos, but that thing that can kind of throw you off yourself also can make for some really valuable yes. rhetorical moments in public speaking because that also is a mechanism for yourself to become unguarded and for these authentic expressions to come out. Or is that not what you experienced, Taylor? Yeah, no, I think, uh, sorry, I'm trying to take in the whole, I know, the whole of the question. Well, it's like where you would be like, um, uh, sorry guys, I got off track. I don't know how I did that. And then, but then everybody's in stitches and then like that, that worked clearly. Yeah. But I, um, actually fake most of those moments. (laughs) They're mostly fake. (laughs) Like it's like, uh, not always, but it is like, uh. I don't actually feel comfortable to do something like that unless I am overprepared. Yes. Yes. I will yeah. wholeheartedly agree with that. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Well, and I would say that that's actually really great at public speaking. Um, it's As a three, I have to watch it because it can become really deceitful like everything else I do. But um, I found when I could I, – I knew I was getting better at sermon writing when I could write the kind of um, – the off-the-cuff colloquialisms, and I could kind of frame the the stumbling moments, even though they yeah. were in the script. Yeah. As part, but and I think it was this learning. I, I knew it arrived when I could understand not just what I was going to say, but how I was going to say it when I was writing it. Right. That right. was a lot of help. That makes sense. I think. I think for for me, like there's there's there is the degree to which you have to like prepare so that like I do want to steward. The, the time and the attention well of those mm-hmm. who are listening to what I'm saying and like that matters to me but I think like the point at which I've have kind of found like okay I'm, I'm growing into this more has been recognizing like I don't have to be afraid of rejection from yeah. this group like it's that fear of rejection as a two that that's where I've been like oh yeah I can kind of just like whoops oh well I got off track here we go and not like you know fall apart because I'm afraid of rejection in that moment yes yeah. yeah yeah I actually think that's – I still struggle with that some, that sometimes in those moments I get pretty flustered. And then we were a big, like, fake it till you make it house. Mm-hmm. Um, my mom was really big into that. And mm-hmm. uh, both my parents, I think, as lawyers, they just both were like, you are in command. It's like a lesson uh-huh. I learned very young. And so it's just a skill. Do you yeah. know what I mean? It's a yeah. thing that you just practice. And yeah learn but i do still like inside get kind of like fluttery yeah um that's good though i think the flutters are a gift yeah i, yeah. Think so I don't think they're bad no I, yeah and also you know most of my public speaking is sermons right mm-hmm. and so then that is i think that also has to do with a commitment of like i try to like really receive like this is 
a message from God through me mm-hmm. to these people. Like, yeah. what what am I stewarding? Yep. And I want to be steward it really well. And so, yep. um, and so, yeah, I think that, I don't know. I don't know how I'd feel if I'd done more public, like general public speaking. Yeah. I do like answering questions and stuff, though. Like yeah. being on a panel, stuff like that's really fun. Yeah. So, yeah. Well, um, I didn't mean to beat a dead horse there with the Enneagram, but uh, I think okay. that the, the two stuff could be a handy um, fact to have about you as we navigate the book content in a little bit. Yes, it's um, important. Let me, uh, while we're here, though, um, if, okay, let me lean into some tropes, right? If I were going to pick uh, vocational interests by Enneagram numbers, I'd say what? A one is a judge, an eight's a lawyer, a three's an actor, mm. a four is an artist, right? Okay, a five's a researcher, whatever, blah, blah, blah. I would say a two might be a social worker. Perhaps. Among the other things, um, do you think that's oversimplified, or do you think there is a natural synergy there? No, I I don't think I don't think so. I mean, well, at least um, we I would just say that we have a lot of uh, folks who identify with type two mm-hmm. on the Enneagram in the school social work, and I think I've even heard Craig Nash talk about that before, like on Suzanne Stabile's podcast about how many twos are around in the building yeah. over there. Um, so. No, I don't think that's an oversimplification. But I also recognize that there are a lot of other different types, you know, who identify as social workers. And there are a lot of twos who also identify as, you know, lawyers and researchers and, you know, yeah. many, many other disciplines too. So I do think – do you ever think that, like, um, learning to advocate for people, it really, like, lights up the places where you see like other people are good, like uh-huh. other numbers are good at advocating for people in a way that is like mm-hmm. so different than the way mm-hmm. twos advocate for people. Yes. Yeah, yeah. That's always really interesting. Sometimes I wish I was, Josh is going to think this is insane, <laughs> but sometimes I wish like I was uh, just a little more in the moment. I always feel like I need to soften. Do you know what I mean? Mm. And there are times when I wish, <laughs> look at him. And there are times when I wish uh, I just was, not, bolder is not the word, because I do feel mm. like I'm a pretty bold person, but like, um, that it had a little more steeliness behind it, maybe. Mm. People, I think, tend to be like, oh, this is a softness. There's a softness here. And that's true, but yeah. not in a way that's not to be like taken seriously. Do you, yeah. Does that make sense to you at all? Yes. It does. I mean, I do admire the aggressive stance, our aggressive stance friends and, mm-hmm. the, you know, the ways that they're able to have a little bit more of that um, directness, I guess, that, yeah. you know, m- folks may not pick up when it comes to twos. But um, but I know you and I have talked about Luisa yeah. and Encanto yeah, and how, yeah. you know, um, Josh, have you seen that movie? I haven't. You haven't? I know. No. Okay. I think his kids watched it without him. I just saw saw Downton for the first time. You what? Just watched Downton for the first time. Oh, I haven't. I haven't seen that. So there you go. I was trying to express my irrelevance. No, that's okay. (laughs) Oh, I see. see. But yeah, but but Louisa, you know, a lot of times I think folks think that she's a a strong, you know, that she's not a two. But then once you understand her motivation, you're like, oh, actually, yeah. And as a perception, she's not a two because of her steeliness to use the word okay but but right like we um we often note the relationship with the two and the eight and the the two disintegrates what's the word you prefer uh uh in stress in stress yeah uh and well when i learned um uh movement what do you call that theory is that arrow no that's not arrows 
uh, integration and mm-hmm. the um, Calm and stress, yeah. Suzanne yeah. was talking about the first time she had to be angry mm. and had to access that eight energy. Yeah. But I just do feel like I the longer I hang around twos, the more I see those eight glimpses. Mm-hmm. Yes. And the, and the eight space is not a bad space for twos to be yeah. in. In no. fact, I feel like I – um, like I know we talk a lot of times about how twos will go to eight in either disintegration or unhealth or whatever. But I think when twos can like mindfully go to that eight space yeah. as a protective factor for themselves to not burn out, yeah. I think it's actually it's a gift. And, um, you know, it's not it's it's not a, a space of energy that two should avoid. No, they need yeah. it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, I want to turn the conversation in another direction. Sure. And this is a little bit selfish. Okay. But, it, but it's about your life. <laughs> oh. Um, I want to talk about New York. Okay. I love it. That's um, fine. I am just so enamored with the state. It has everything. Everything that a person could want. Um, you did disagree. some upstate New York stuff, right? Uh-huh. What's, yep. What was the biggest city near you? Is it Syracuse or Buffalo? or Rochester. Rochester. Okay. Yep. Yep. So uh, tell me about Lake Ontario. Mm. <laughs> Um, besides that, it's amazing. Is there like a, I mean, is there unique cultures? Like, are there like great restaurants with fish on them? Oh my gosh. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like we had, we had restaurants like around on the lake that were, you know, a lot of seafood type you mm-hmm. know places, but, um, I just love the culture in Rochester, not just because of the lake, but like, I mean, although I did, and I, I talk about in this book, how I, um, grew up with the lake was like right in my backyard. Mm-hmm. And so. Ugh. Yeah, I I should show you. I'll show you pictures after we're done with this. Um, But there is just, I mean, I write so much about it in this book and just the, the, the connection to having Lake Ontario, but it's like an actual lake. It's not like you look over and you can see the other side of it. Like it's so, right? It's so big. Um, but I mean, just the culture around like the music scene in Rochester, the, mm. the food scene, we had these things called garbage plates that I grew up with. Yeah. Have y'all ever heard of these no, before? I'm, s- I'm so eager to hear about this. Uh, yeah. You have? Okay. So, um, so they're like, I mean, I mean, this, this is like the gold in Rochester It's like, yeah. it's like, uh, um, mac salad and hot dog or a burger and like hot sauce and like all this just junk like piled onto a plate that was just delicious at like you know way too late in the evening and <laughs> um so but, uh carbs and meat basically oh. and lots of hot sauce See, and like I, I, yeah here's what I yeah that's like, like your dream meal yeah, right <laughs> um i've so my fascination with the area has grown like I love Wisconsin, uh-huh, right. but then I love the Great Lakes, and then yeah. I began to love um, kind of Gilded Age, post Gilded Age, industrial America, mm-hmm. of which mm-hmm. Northwest, right. yeah, New York is certainly a part of. Yep. Um, I have decided that my AFC football team is Buffalo. I love it's a small Go market Bills. like Green Bay. Mm-hmm. It is also mm-hmm. on the Great Lakes. Uh huh. I really like Josh Allen. He's a small town mm-hmm. Wyoming kid. Mm-hmm. Um, so I just think it's fantastic. That's awesome. And they have the Sabers though, so it's not an insignificant yeah. place. Uh, now, did you ever get over to the fingers to like Cornell and whatnot? Yeah, well, I mean, aside from like touring some of the schools over there, but we, um, like, I used to go to a camp that was right on one of the Finger Lakes. I can't remember. Was it Canada? No, was it Canada? Cuca? No, not Cuca. Anyways, it was one of them over there. Um, 
But we did. We used to go driving. We used to drive all around the state. And, like, I mean, we used to go skiing when I was growing mm. up. Um, in New York or yeah, in Vermont? Or, okay. Yeah, in New York. I mean, we, uh, no, I don't think we went in Vermont, actually. But but there was a place that we used to go to regularly in upstate New York um, that was right near Ithaca. and So Ithaca, con- everything's considered upstate that's not the city, is that pretty right? Pretty much, yeah. Okay. Uh-huh. Yep. Yeah, I know. <laughs> um but yeah, I mean, just, I don't know. I, I just, I loved it. I loved, I mean, even the drive, like, like I write about starting my college career at um, St. Bonaventure University. Yeah, St. Bonnie's. And, um, yep, go Bonnie's. And the, even just the drives to Bonaventure with oh, like the, the mountains and the hills and like driving through the the fall with all the leaves and, you know, just the fact that there are seasons up there, which, yeah. you know. Well, and the right, yeah. uh, the proximity to the ocean and the elevation, you, you get um, just really rich weather in each of them. Yes. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Would uh, my impression is that the Adirondacks are um, markedly better than the Catskills in terms of people's experience? Do you think mm. that's true, or do you think I don't know? Because I don't remember going to either of them growing up. To be honest, I'm so sorry. I, I can yeah. tell I'm disappointing you in this <laughs> moment, but you know, we did in 2019. Lindsay went to New York for our anniversary. Uh-huh. And we, um, you know why we went there is because of the marvelous Miss Maisel. Because there was oh, that, really? that season where they spent like, and it's, you can see the remnant of all these Jewish, in fact, I watched a, a documentary on this, all these mm. re- Jewish resorts that existed there. And they went through okay. why that developed, but it's fascinating. Beautiful area. Oh. And surprisingly affordable. Yeah. So my other things, I look a lot of real really? estate. Yeah, that's awesome. Uh, and the Catskills are a little run down, so you can get some stuff in there that's... That's awesome. So if we, if we all want to pull together. And <laughs> That's oh, right. Josh is like That's right. Really He's planted it out. Yes. Yeah. Like the meme of like a, a, yeah, like a person who, they did a whole, on SNL they made a joke essentially about Josh. It was like, oh gosh, are you like a dad in your like late 30s, early 40s looking at Zillow every night and it's like no, that, no. Is, oh. that is what <laughs> no they made that video and it was like um, they tre- they treated Zillow as like a sexual innuendo and, <laughs> oh I yeah, saw yeah, that yeah. and was I with, um, yeah the what's his name Shit's Creek yes yes Levy. I saw that yes yeah. yes yep. uh, and I certainly felt indicted <laughs> you don't need to feel indicted <laughs> well one of my very good friends named Kareem has <laughs> certainly re- re- referred to my Zillow addiction as a form of porn. That's so funny. Oh my gosh. So, okay, Dream. let's um let's steer the conversation towards this wonderful piece of work you've given mm. us. You have written a book called The Soul of the Helper: Seven Stages of Seeing the Sacred Within Yourself, so you can see it in others. Mm-hmm. And it has been published by. If I could minimize my screen, I could see. Tell me the publisher. Yeah, Templeton Press. Templeton Press. Uh-huh. Yep. Um. And it's just out, right? Yeah. So people are perhaps awaiting for it to arrive in their mailbox. Yep. Uh, I don't mean to ask the cliche question, but maybe a better way to phrase this. What put you on the journey to writing about this intersection of faith, spirituality, and social work? Um, I mean, the short answer feels like everything. I mean, it's just this is the journey that I've been on my whole life. Um, is it biographical then in that way? There, yeah, I do write it with like an autoethnography focus. So, which means basically, I'm 
looking at the research around this intersection of spirituality and mental health. And then I'm uh, writing about what it's like to be someone living at that intersection. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, and this this goes all the way back to layers of my childhood and um, layers of some trauma and abuse and um, rejection that I experienced as a kid. And then um, – uh, and then, like, my mom, thankfully, getting me into therapy when I was younger mm-hmm. so that, you know, I could start to heal from some of my experiences as a kid. Um, in my in my therapy spaces, with my, with my therapist, especially with Peter, who I write about, um, he did such a beautiful job with talking about my faith as it related to my circumstances, not in a way to bypass the pain, but to just hold space for it. Mm -hmm. Um, Whereas, you know, I would go to my priest because I grew up in a Catholic tradition. And when I would talk about some of the things that were going on, they just kind of looked at me like, I don't, I don't know what to do or how to help you with that or what to say. Um, And as I got older, I really fell in love with the field of mental health and psychology. I really was you know, kind of drawn to the idea that like, wait, I can do this as a job? Like really? Like this, you know, holding this space, going back to, you know, Enneagram twos, the opportunity to like get paid to like hold space for people Mm -hmm. and, um, and to support them along their journeys was just like, that just felt like a gift. And so, um, so I did go on, we already talked about a little bit earlier, like my undergrad was in psychology and then I went in and did some work in, um, social work, but, But right around that time, I had heard um, someone who's now a dear mentor of mine, Dr. Ken Pergament, he talked about this massive chasm between psychology and spirituality and the fact that like, even though most adults believe in a higher power and consider themselves to be religious or spiritual, um, psychology programs weren't really training these future psychologists on like how to talk about this. Mm -hmm. And, and I remember just being like, oh my gosh, like what, you know, but these are helpers. Like how can they talk about so many other areas of their clients' lives, but avoid this one. Um, and so anyways, so I go more into the book around how I really like, I got to a point in which I like could not like not research this study or mm-hmm. research this topic. Um, and I've just kind of devoted my life's work to understanding this intersection since then. Mm. So, so what you just said, I'll kind of, as, as I read this outlines part one of the book, uh-huh. um, but you do say you introduced namaste theory. Did uh-huh. I say that right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, now, I know I know the context in which I hear that word. Uh-huh. And you give a definition I did not know, which uh-huh. very simply, um, listener, is um, oh, let me, the, me, the divine in me recognizing the divine in uh-huh. you. Yep. Is that right? Yep. Okay. Um, so when you say introduced, does that mean this has like been written about and you grabbed it or like you, uh, you pioneered this? Yeah, yeah. I um, so I published the theory entitled Namaste theory. Okay. Um, this is a Namaste is a Sanskrit term that literally translates to mean I bow to you, and um, but more generally translates as you mentioned to mean the divine in me honors the divine in you, or the sacred within me recognizes the sacred within you. Mm-hmm. Um, and as I was doing this research, looking at mental health care providers specifically, and like the degree 
degree to which they um, were including their clients' faith into mental health treatment, I found that as mental health care providers were more deeply motivated to live out their beliefs, you know, coming from the place of deeply knowing this part of their own lives and then living that out, they were more likely to talk about this area of their clients' lives. And so that's where, you know, I was like getting ready one day, you know, because of course that's when like all those great ideas come when you're like not really, you know, doing work. You're just like getting ready for the day. Um, And that term, that that Hindi term, namaste, came to mind. I was like, that's it. Like that's what's happening. It's the sacred within the mental health care provider is sensing or honoring the sacred within the client they're serving. Um, And so in 2017, I published this quantitative grounded theory called Namaste Theory, and it was based on my research and research that others have done, just kind of recognizing that as mental health care providers more deeply recognize the sacred within themselves, they're more likely to honor that and recognize it in the clients that they serve. Mm. So, yeah. And is like uh and is that like of any faith like if just if sort of mental health providers are embracing their own faith and living it out then they can also like more deeply acknowledge that in their clients okay. yeah yeah it's not dependent upon um like it wasn't like a particular faith group was doing this more or less than others like we did not see any differences the only like this was the top predictor was the their intrinsic motivation uh, or their intrinsic religiosity, that inner motivation. But, but it didn't. Again, it didn't matter based on the faith tradition. It yeah. was just how motivated they were to live out their faith, whatever it was that they believed in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I think that's I think that's really cool and really important. Uh, it's been so interesting. Um, and me and Josh talk a lot about the image of God uh-huh. and he- hear about how that's yep. such an important part of Christianity and yeah. really truly believing that like other people bear yeah. the image of God into the world and that that matters. Yes. Um, and I do think also, I mean, hearing about this, it makes sense to me that like, cause I think that was really a key for me is like, really like, how do you live that out? You know, yeah. how is that borne out? And also then, and it sounds like you go on to talk about some of this. Yeah. Um, it, it was also a key about like, well, if I believe that about other people, yeah. then I have to believe that about myself. And yeah. what does that mean about how I treat myself and how I live yes. my life? And yeah. so I don't know if that is meaningful or if that had anything to do with your research about how people were also treating themselves and embracing in embracing that sort of those sort of beliefs or whatever but yeah um so yeah does that yeah factor in yeah absolutely so um so even though I started this research with mental health care providers I started talking with other fellow helpers and realized like this is this theory is not just for mental health care providers but it is for helpers in general whether that's um you know faith leaders or parents or partners or caregivers or teachers or you know I could go down the whole list of all the helpers but it's pretty much I would say each of us in one way shape or form we're helping and serving others um and so, yeah, so um, so that absolutely factored in and thinking that it's it's not just relevant for this one group, but it is relevant for others. And what I write about in the book is this understanding that actually, and this is really, I mean, this was some of the hard work through writing this, is that 
I think we have to wake up to the sacred within ourselves in order to see it in others. Yeah. And I think that if we're trying to seek the sacred within others without seeing it within ourselves first, I'm really afraid we're not really fully seeing the sacred within other people. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. I'm getting a look from Josh. I don't know. Well, I'm processing all this through my own experience, which okay. is three. Um, and I have trouble caring about anybody's emotions, including my own. Mm-hmm. Um, but I was also thinking, well, let me ask my question. Okay. Um, and this is, this is confession. This is not an excuse. So coach me through it. And this is for both of you because you're both twos. <laughs> um, I was thinking that I bet um, not only is this easier for some people than others, mm. the recognition part, but it's more intuitive. So I bet for some fives, this is excruciating work. Maybe not. Maybe they're great, but I can imagine a five. And is the further we get from the E's, I think you probably have all your aggressive numbers, right? Who are gonna? It's not gonna be as intuitive. But also, like twos, my goodness, like the way I was described to me initially was. Back, does, do you know who Christopher Mack is? C Mack. No. He's worked with Suzanne. He's a two, okay. so he's very fluent in Enneagram. And he said, a three can walk into a room, and sense what the room needs. A two can walk into the room and know what every single person needs. So, and there's a difference, right? I'm, I'm looking at Taylor. I'm wondering. <laughs> but I'm just like, well, of course this like makes sense to y'all because you're good at it, right? Well, I don't know. <laughs> go ahead, Taylor. You go. Yeah. Well, let me. I think I'll respond to some of like um, the more personal points, right? Mm-hmm. So I think like it. I don't think it has anything to do with any of that. Mm. Say something else. I'm like that answer. <laughs> okay. Um, I don't. I mean, I think it's like um, it doesn't. Uh, here's the thing. Uh, you might be right in that. At least admit that you have a leg up. No. 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 I won't. No. No. I know because we don't see within ourselves. It's really hard to stay in the inability to see the divine in yourself first. It just makes it harder. No, I well, think. Well, ahead. it's probably different. Yeah, yeah, I should probably let Holly speak. No, to no, no, no. I love listening to you. No, no, no. Please. Um, well, I don't. It's it's not. It hasn't. It doesn't really have anything to do with my feelings. Yeah, that's right. It has to do with um, belief and like, embodiment. Yeah, well, certainly. Yeah, it's all. It's cognitive and physical and emotional. Yes, it's, it's all, all It's three. all of it. It's all three. It's all of they it. They all have to be activated to do Yeah, this. I have to yeah. believe, and I think you could get it at any type of way. Yeah. Right? I think uh, fives, they're thinking forward, they're fear forward. I actually, I can imagine that it, they are locked away from, like, it is the fear in them would be the hard thing to get over. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, but it, it has to do with, thinking and belie- believing which they are very committed to their thoughts and mm-hmm. beliefs they're like orthodoxy you know mm-hmm. thinking and believing that they um really know mm-hmm. that the divine is inside of everyone mm-hmm. that the presence of god that everyone was created in the image of god and that would be i would think the access point for them mm-hmm. and then as they you know sort of come into wholeheartedness embodiment whatever you want to call it that they would that would also engage their um emotions and their sort of gut and embodied selves and it's like yeah i think for twos it is like my access point definitely is that i can feel everyone and so i'm like 
I know that they are created in the image of God, but yeah. I have to think through it first, right? I have to like actually engage my thought process yep. about what I believe about other people. And so that brings it into my like thinking self because then I have to think about the people. I Because I feel so deeply, I have to think about the people that I really hate. Yeah. Like I really hate, yeah, yeah. they're like my enemies, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. Like... I really have to think, like, I don't feel any type of way for them. Right. I do not feel good about them. Right. But I know what I believe, which is that every single person is created in the image of God. Yeah. And the, so then that's, like, feeling is my access point, but it's not, um, I don't think it's everybody's access point. Yeah, you know? and I don't think that this is, I don't think that this work is... I mean, I will say very humbly, I don't know that this work is easy for any particular Enneagram. I think this is why we have to lean on one another and then also lean on all three centers of intelligence. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, in that, that I certainly write about in the book. Like, there, it's very clearly you could see, you know, thinking and feeling and doing are activated within this book. Um, mm. But... Um, there are certainly maybe struggles or things that would make it extra difficult for certain numbers or different types to be able to recognize the sacred within themselves. Um, and, but, but what, like what I was kind of trying to get at is like this idea that like, if we can't see it within ourselves first, um, again, you know, it's like if we were to drive past a flower at like 20 miles an hour, you know, you might be like, oh, yeah, there it is. Like, I see that 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 daisy or whatever. Right. And you could say I saw it, but like you can't really like appreciate it and fully understand or comprehend or know that flower. Mm-hmm. Right. Unless you like stop and get out of the car and go be with it for mm-hmm. a bit. Um, but, and, but so there are, there are like seven stages. I don't know if I'm jumping ahead too far. Yeah. Is that okay? Do you want me to slow down yeah, or? I have a question about that for you. Okay. Then, then go ahead. Um, oh, and can I say one other thing? Yeah. One other thing that's really, especially with this idea of Enneagram too, I do. So, uh, Dr. Jerome Libba writes from this understanding that we all embody all nine types. And I really do like that, a, a, a approach. I think that we do have access to all nine types. There's one that is most predominant for each of us, for sure, that we, that's our like home base. But like, you know, even if I most identify with two, you know, I still have access to like nine space and seven and five and, you know, whatever, each of the other numbers, but they just might be a little bit smaller than my two space. Harder to get to. That's right. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, I'll accept your answers for now, <laughs> but I'll keep working through my feelings. It's on it. okay. All right. Um, so part two of the book, um, you say is about seeking the sacred first within yourself and then others, and then you propose. I did hear you say the other night this is not linear to the frustration of your That's publisher, right. but yeah. you have seven yeah. <laughs> chapters, yeah. which we might call steps on a journey to yeah. use your language. Yep. Um, 
and you very uh, niftily, and I don't mean that in a pejorative sense, have come up with all S words, speed, slow, steady, still, see, shift, surf. Uh-huh. I'm going to, this is going to be an exercise I'm going to ask you to do impromptu. I know you're going to want to think it deep. <laughs> Just go with it, okay? <laughs> okay. But I think this will serve you well in the rest of your interviews you get to do. Okay. I want to now Excited. repeat each yeah. of those. <laughs> yeah, you're welcome as a three. Yeah. <laughs> um, I'm going to read you each word. Okay. Okay. And having not read the chapters and not getting a meaning or a definition for how you're using them, I want you to pick an alternative word, could just simply be a synonym, uh-huh. that also does the same thing. Does it make sense? So instead of speed, you would say... Like what would be another word to kind of capture that, that chapter? Yeah. Is that what you're saying? Yes. Okay. Ready? Yep. Speed. Hustling. Oh, okay. That threw me because mm-hmm. I thought of like, I think of like shmarmy business dealers, like hustle. Mm-mm. You're like on the, on the court, hustle. Like hustling for your worth. Okay. Uh, slow. Hard. Steady. A gift. Still. Really, really hard. And <laughs> sorry, let me let me. Th- I'm 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 getting myself confused with these. So I like the so hustling for the first. What was the other one? Slow. So you did slow. hard. Yeah. Let me change that. Um. um this is hard, <laughs> Josh. Um, okay, hang on. Slow. You can have time. Let's see. Realize. Okay, so we have hustle, realize, steady, you said. Support. And then still, you want to say hard for that because you went really hard when I said that. Yeah, let's say it was still, yeah, hard, difficult. C. Okay. I mean, the first word that came to mind is a miracle. That's beautiful. Leave it. Yeah. Okay. Shift. What's next? Okay. And then serve. Purpose. Okay. So there's kind of tell us, at least in the order. Mm-hmm. There's something. You, listening closely, there's, even though you said not linear, it seems like there's beginning there work and ending work. Yes, there is. Okay. Let's there think is. of this in terms of methodology first. And I, again, I want to be mindful you said not. <laughs> Linear. Uh-huh. Um, how would... It's, is it- I was going to say, so so let me, can I contextualize that yeah. a little bit? With So I say not linear because I don't want folks to see this as being another checklist of things that they have to do and then they perfect and then they're done because that's not the journey. And we know that the, is part of the human condition yeah. that like, you know, our faith journey, our human condition and, you know any layer of our journey is there is like a, a spiral to it, right? Where we, we circle back to earlier things that we thought we learned, but we get to deepen our understanding of that, right? right. And so even though in some ways, yes, these are linear because there's an understanding of the overall process, I don't want folks to read this book and think, okay, check, got the speed chapter. What's next? Okay, check, slow down. And then it's not like you're not going to go back at some point and hustle for your worth without being aware of that, you know? Yeah, it reminds me of something I thought of. And so Mm -hmm. tell me if this is a helpful example, Uh which is that I had a professor who took all of us on a week-long, two-week-long trip to – Christ in the Desert Monastery Ooh, uh-huh. in New Mexico. Have you ever been there? No, but it was it. Um, who was it? Uh, it was Doctor Hewlett Glower. Oh, okay, okay. Um, I don't know. If somebody has like is still it doing the trip yeah. now that he has because he doesn't work at Trudeau. Okay, he's got it. retired. Okay. Um, 
But at one point it came up like, because, you know, you're on this very specific trip. Yeah. Um, and there was stuff to do each day. Mm-hmm. And it was like, but what if we don't get to each thing each mm. day? And he kind of said, um, that's fine. And or like we had a reading plan or something. And he was like, that's fine. And there's no need to like go back and read the stuff you missed uh-huh. yesterday. Or like if you do that. There's no need to like, you don't have to read what you missed yesterday and uh-huh. what you're doing, what you're supposed to read the next day because he, I mean, he essentially what he said is like, this is life work. Yeah. This is forever. Yeah. Like this is, I yeah. just had this real sense that it's like, oh, Christianity is like, it is every day of my life. Yeah. You know, it's not, yep. it's, I never, I'm never going to be perfect at right. it. You right. know what I mean? And right. so it feels like all these tasks are like. You're in, kind of in all of them. You have to start, right. you know, to yeah. like yeah. do the work or whatever. Yeah. But um, but then once you've started, it is like mm-hmm. this is kind of forever yeah. work. You know, this is the work of making yourself and being a disciplined mm-hmm. person, a disciplined mm-hmm. Christian, a disciplined, um, you know, like citizen, global citizen, whatever you yeah. want to say, and um, and making yourself into a good person. And yeah. so. Yeah that's kind of what it felt like to me as opposed to like yeah like okay like check I, did this it. One out. I know the the enneagram ones and the threes are like all right <laughs> <laughs> just like just give me the, the five-step plan and <laughs> i'm sorry from calling you out friend no i was just thinking you know what reese and i would do we would get together and create a program of brochures and we get people through it <laughs> yeah. you know? oh, there you go see <laughs> Seven ways to effectively get through the seven yep. steps. Yep. Yes. <laughs> as efficiently as possible. No excess. Yep. Yes. You know, okay. uh, Suzanne teaches that threes need one good failure to really grow. Aww. And she tells a story of afterwards, a very ambitious young three came afterwards. They're like, hey, it's like, how can I get through my failure? <laughs> <laughs> like, you got any suggestions? You got anywhere you can point me? That's so funny. I can make a plan for my failure. That's so funny. <laughs> oh. Like, Oh, yeah. I, I see that I need one. So yeah. Like, where should I so, pick it up? So, like, how do I plan for yeah. it and prepare for it? And, yeah, my three-wing can feel that, and that resonates. Yeah. Hey, hey, you wrote a book. So. Yeah. There you go. I've, yeah. Um, well, uh, can I ask about something else from your biography? And if you say no, we'll edit sure. it out. Yeah. You celebrated recently yes two years two months and two days i know on the day that the book came out on the day, oh, going, on the day that cool. the book came out How of wild is that? sobriety yes and i would wondered if a that experience and this methodology informed one another at all and if so or if not mm. um if you'd be willing to speak to that yeah no i i really appreciate the question i'm always happy to talk about um my journey with sobriety because it was in listening to other people talk about their journeys that gave me the courage to think that maybe this is for me too so um i yeah they they do go in tandem and i do write actually about my my journey with sobriety in the book um my husband and i we were part of a life group a, a long while back at our, our previous church um, that uh, one of the one of the folks within the group was starting a recovery ministry at that church. And, you know, and she'd asked, like, hey, would y'all be willing to help with it? So we went through it. And I was thinking, like, in my two pride, right, of being like, <laughs> of being like yes, I'm happy to help. Like, I don't need this, but I am happy to help, you know, others. But as I went through and navigated the 12 steps and 
you know, served in this um, recovery ministry, I realized that like they humbled me, that it's, it, you know, that, that it is, that, that these steps were as much for me as they were for every single other person in this room. And, um, and as I was going through, uh, this recovery ministry and, and serving in it, it really started me with me waking up to the ways in which, um, work and email and, you know, texts and connection with others. And there were ways in which I was hustling um, and that that was becoming an addiction. Like even just my phone, the amount of times I would check my phone and um, things like that. Um, and my work became an addiction. And um, and I just uh, kind of woke up to that. And then as I write about, there's this great quote by Seth Haynes where he says, waking gives way to waking, which gives way to waking. Mm-hmm. And as I woke up to the ways in which I would hustle for my worth and I was um, addicted to perfectionism and um, performance and anything that people pleasing and on and on, mm-hmm. um, I started to realize like, oh, I'm, I'm also engaging in a lot of unhealthy behaviors to numb when things are hard, mm-hmm. whether I had a hard day, a hard conversation, the kids were not listening that day or whatever, you know, like the whole gamut would run from like, you know, just plopping on the couch and like mindlessly watching shows for a long period of time. Um, or I wrote in the book about, you know, as you were alluding to with my recovery from, um, from alcohol, and recognizing I would sit and I would, you know, drink one, two, three glasses of wine at the end of a hard day. And, you know, and I, and I don't think those are bad things when, you know, when done, um, with intention, but when we use certain behaviors or substances or, or whatever it is, um, in a way that numbs us rather than gives us the space to get curious about, why was it today such a hard day? Why am I so irritable? Why am I so tired? Why do I just keep choosing that easy thing to like yeah. just get through the moment? I mean, we we all we all need those every once in a while, but like when we do it to a point at which it's unhealthy, you know, that's that invitation for us to um, I think get curious about what it is that we're numbing. And for me, one of the biggest things that I woke up to in this was that recognition that, like I know Brene Brown talks about this in one of her books where um, when we numb the pain, we numb the joy. Mm -hmm. And I I totally noticed that, that, you know, the ways in which I was numbing the pain, it dulled my experience of the good moments too. Um, And... And so, like, I've, I've just, you know, thank gosh for therapy and uh, for, you know, having support um, because those hard times still come. Um, but just trying to find ways to move through those hard times without numbing them, I think, has been some of the hardest work of my life. Yeah. So, Okay, I'm feeling frustrated again. You are? Yeah. Why? Tell me why. Well, because I... Um, well, hold on, though. First, thanks for sharing that with us. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, like, being vulnerable. Yeah, and now okay. I'll let Josh... It's okay. I mean, it's Holly, all in the book, so... Thank you for you being know, vulnerable. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no, uh, that was pretty on the nose. Sorry, Holly. Well, um, okay, <laughs> okay here's my thing. Um, I... I... Well, and it, this would surprise no one. The world makes the most sense to me when it's black and white. Okay. Mm-hmm. I prefer that. 
um, because it's efficient. Mm -hmm. And um, I thrive in environments where the rules are clear and I can figure out how to beat the system. That's Mm -hmm. my favorite. So um, I like to conceive of humans as biochemical beings. Mm -hmm. This is also why I think I'm uh, attracted to the thought that we're all just simulated is because that would make so much more sense to me out of the way the world's unfolding yes. than the absurdity of what I then yeah, see. Yeah, I, I don't disagree with you on Okay, that. so here's my thing. Yeah. I would argue with my therapist all the time about this, hmm. is I would say, okay, everything you just said about sobriety, I believe that. I read Seth's book. You gave it to me. Okay? Oh, that's right. And I remember the waking to waking to waking yeah. um, quote. But I would say to her, look, I want to feel so bad. I want to. Hmm. And... um. If I sit down and I have two glasses of whiskey, uh-huh. I get to on my emotions uh-huh. in a really what feels like helpful way. Like uh-huh. my gratitude increases, uh-huh. my my orientation to time changes. I see my children, mm-hmm. and I don't know what to do with that. Yeah, like I don't That's, that that feels healthy. Yeah, uh, you know. Well, but, but I feel like you addressed that. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Which is to say, I, mean, I don't know about two glasses of whiskey, but like. That it's like, I think there are some things that for some people numb them. Yeah. And then there are some, it's the exact same thing, but what it does is bring someone life. And I don't, I can't speak into like what that is. And I think obviously our relationship with alcohol is a precarious one that we should always pay attention to. But like, I remember I went to a, I grew up in a house Mm -hmm. where alcohol was not a big deal. It was always around. Yeah. But I am also a Baptist, like, and I grew up a Southern Baptist. And so um, when I went to a Southern Baptist college, mm-hmm. I had a lot of friends that had very complicated relationships to alcohol yeah. and felt really bad every time they had one drink. Yeah. And I just oh always gosh. said, like, if that, if you feel so bad, yeah. don't do it. You don't, I mean, we're not 16. Right, right. You don't have to be cool. You don't. You don't have to drink to be cool or whatever. Not that that's ever the truth, but it is a lie we tell ourselves. And so I think, anyways, I don't know if that helps at all. Well, it does help. It's a a very good comment. I think, though, maybe to hone in on my frustration, it's that that a chemical can do that to me. Yeah. Um, And... You know, I, I'm convinced. I've told Taylor, I wish we could get a grant and it didn't have to be us, but somebody is qualified to actually do research on human existence and these typologies we map on ourselves. Because I know a lot of people feel like they're like astrology or whatever and they throw them away. That's fine. I don't care. But there's something just wild about the fact that I have this this data set about an Enneagram 3 and I could go to India to step into culture I really know nothing about mm-hmm. and very quickly find an Enneagram 3 and be able to say things about their life. You know what I mean? And I don't think this is magic. What I actually think is going on is that if we could neuroimage our brains and figure out a way to, to map all this, it's just for whatever reason, we come out in this soup of biochemical data as certain kinds of people mm-hmm. that lends itself again to a certain typology. Um, but I, get, I just think what's disappointing is that my my solution could really be so fickle, mm. right? Like it, for whoever I am, and I realize that there's hard work and therapy and practices and all those things, but it just feels so cheap to me. Or I can have two glasses of whiskey yeah. and get there in no time. Yeah. Like what does that say about me as a human? It doesn't say anything bad. And I hope you hear me that like that none of, you know, what, what has worked for me and my journey, that is not something that I want to project in any oh, way. Oh, I didn't. Say. I'm and sorry I hope, if I, no, 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 no. I just hope that that's not like, I hope, I hope that I'm, um, I just hope that, that I'm clear. Yeah. That. I didn't yeah. hear any condemnation. Okay, I think okay, I'm good. frustrated because I believe you. Oh, 
I see. You know what I mean? Like I'm like that's very different. Yeah. Um, I'm just like, oh, yeah. That's probably true. I wish I could outright just feel negative about my drinking habits. But then I'm like, crap. This feels like this really positive thing happens to me, which it may not be positive. I'm open to that too. Yeah, and I think that's where the invitation is for you to get curious about you know, what what it is about it that is helpful. Um, are there any things about it that are harmful? And and then you do, you're invited to do that work and figuring out is this for me or not? Like I, I felt, I think that, you know, when I think back about, um, I'll use alcohol as an example. Like I, when I think back about um, drinking, like I thought I really needed that after a really hard day, especially yes. with some of the things that I have juggled with work over the years um, and things with family. I know the um, well, I won't go into all that, but what I will say yeah. is that <laughs> what I will say is that, um, you know, it did help to the best of my understanding. It helped. That's why I kept mm. engaging in it. Right. Mm. And then it got to just to a point at which there was enough of a nudge in me. You know, this wasn't like I had thought about it for five years. And then I finally, it was like, you know, there were moments and then I would stop thinking about it. Um, but it just got to a strong enough nudge at which I was like, I, I just can't do it anymore. And the wild thing was that a week after I made the conscious decision to stop drinking, my sister and her husband and her family came over and she was like, hey, guess what? I decided to stop drinking. I was like, hmm. what the what? Well, no, I came from a charismatic background. And you know, we say, oh, about I'm that sure kind. you have a thought about that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But, um, but I mean, it's just, I, I just, what I definitely don't want is for anyone to hear any of this and be like, there's no shame. But I know that, especially after like my kids were born, um, there's there's a lot of messaging around mommy wine culture and mm-hmm. that you know mothers should just drink away like yeah. how hard of you know it is to be a mom and like um it just for me it was it was not helpful it was toxic so um i don't mean to beat a dead horse mostly i just want to say this because okay. you've more than compensated for the question at this point uh can i tell you what like another kind of existential crisis in terms of my my framework was sure Along the, all the same lines. Yeah. I had an uh, appendectomy in 17. Mm. And um, I, I feel like, I think that I am ravenous in the way I consume my own human experience. Mm. Like, I feel like I really steward that. I really analyze. I really step into. I really try and make sense of human existence constantly. Like, I can't choose but to do that. Okay? Mm-hmm. So, I feel like I'm pretty sophisticated at this. Mm-hmm. I remember... I, and so when I was so excited when I got my anesthesia or my anesthesia, what do you call that? Yeah. What, anesthesia. Anesthetic. I'm like, okay. Yeah. Like I was like, I'm going to, I'm counting with her. I'm going to think this yeah. through. I'm going to beat this. I am uh-huh. going to oh take on the anesthetic. <laughs> Actually, I felt the same way when I went to my therapist. I'm like, mm-hmm. she's so lucky I've shown up. She's never had somebody like this before. We're going to blow the roof off this thing. This is going to be a human experience for the oh ages. Oh my God. And not out of arrogance, just like, right. I'm all in. Yeah, we're, right, right, right. You're going to do the work. Yeah. The crap out of this. Yes, yes. And this is going to be good for you yes. and me. Yes. So I'm I there and, and, and I'm, uh, I'm, she's like, okay, you're going to count. I'm like, oh, I know I'm counting. Uh-huh. And I am, it, as it's dulling, I am paying attention. And mm-hmm. I'm like, oh, I remember that. I remember that. Uh-huh. And then the next thing you know, I'm ripping a face, a mask off my, yeah. my head. And I'm like, 
Yeah. I have no control over who I am. That's right. It was yeah. just devastating yeah. that yeah. a chemical yeah. could manipulate my existence. And then I talked to a friend who's an ER nurse, and he said, oh, what's more yeah. is they gave you a couple cocktails, and one of them allowed you to be lucent and interact with the doctors. You got up off your gurney and got onto the operation table of your mm-hmm. own willpower, but you don't remember any of it because of what they put in your body, and I just oh wanted gosh. to scream. Oh, my God. I'm like, we're all, we're, I'm a robot named Neo hooked up to a thing and <laughs> Cylons are running my Oh, life. I do love, I do love the Matrix, my friend, but yeah. Well, thank you for abiding my chaos and yeah. answering the question with such grace. Absolutely. So we're almost at an hour. I do want to say a word about what you conclude with, and that is to say you in the classroom, you always ask, so what? I do. So you've written this book, you've gone on this journey, you've invited others into it. Mm-hmm. How do you frame the so what question for generic listeners out there who might want to get the book? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, yeah, that so what question really matters. I feel like, you know, as somebody who cares about stewarding time, others' time and attention well, I don't want them walking away just being like, that was a lot of mumbo jumbo. And so the so what matters. So I appreciate you asking. Um I would hope that as folks um, are discerning whether or not to pick up this book, um, and even if they don't, I just hope that they hear um, the honest-to-God truth that um, that they are beloved as they are, that there is nothing that they can do to be loved any more or any less than they are in this moment, um, that their life is a gift, and that you know this day that we've been given to wake up is was unpromised, but we're here. I mean, we're sitting in this this room. Actually, I don't even think I've ever been in this room before. I walk past it all the time, but... Cloth um, walls are trippy. Yeah. <laughs> but... Um, but just the, the, the sheer fact that, like, this day is a gift, that... Um, that each of the listeners, that their presence is a gift, and that they are worth the love and care that they extend to so many others, um, and to wake up to that sacred within again, so that they can actually go out and see it in others. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, Josh, did you have more to say? Oh, the comments and the information. Great. Okay. Well, I want to say thanks to Holly for being here with us. It was really fun and also just like really great conversation. So thanks. I'm excited to read the book. Um, I feel like it's going to be something I really resonate with. So, and then Josh will will close us. Uh, I love listening to twos talk. Twos are some of my favorite social beings in the universe. Because they're so good at it. So to get to sit between the two of you is, I think, just fun. I think twos are the best human ana- ana- analyzers, which would make oh. sense. Don't you guys well, think? Well, we're spending a lot of time intuiting other people's yeah. experiences. Well, it pays so. dividends. Yeah. And I'm picky about what I think is interesting. So hmm. you guys. Um, yeah. That is true. Uh, the book is The Soul of the Helper, Seven Stages to Seeing the Sacred Within Yourself. So you can see it others. People can get it on Amazon, but what's the where's the most helpful place for people to order it for you? Yeah. I mean, it's wherever's going to be the best for them. I know for anyone who's in Waco, Fabled has a bunch of signed copies. And I'm going to try to keep that um, going up there. So if they want a signed copy, they can go to Fabled. Um, or if they go to Templeton Press's website, it's 40% off there. Um, so that's kind of nice. And, um, and for anyone who's interested... 
If they go to my website at hollyoxhandler.com, at the bottom I have this little giveaway for anybody who orders the book um, or gets it where there's um, like a play, there are a couple of playlists in there that I'm like obsessed with um, and some recommended readings and um, things like that that just kind of go alongside with the book. So, And Holly, where can we find you on the social medias? Yeah, I'm just at Holly Oxhandler on Twitter, um, Facebook, and Instagram. Well, those are the big ones. But yeah. Do you think whatever's best for them is the most to answer anyone can give? Wait, what do you mean? <laughs> Josh said, where can they get it? And you said, just wherever's Wherever best they- for them. <laughs> no, that is such a two answer. <laughs> yes. That's awesome. No, but it, I mean, I'm, as of right, right. now, at it's least, true, though, I'm also. not, yes, I'm not um, selling it directly. And so um, that may change, but at least for right now, like, you know, I just, I just want folks to be able to access yeah. the book in a way that is, you know, best for them. Yeah. So, yeah. No. But that is a very two answer. Yes. Thanks for seeing that. Yeah. Yeah. We've been very Enneagram heavy today, Josh. I think it, Josh yeah. started it. It's my fault. Yeah. That's um, okay. Well, Dr. Holly Oxhandler, we're honored that you gave us an hour of your life. Mm-hmm. And to some of your friends who have, may have made it over to this podcast because of you, um, for those of them that can't don't have hands free to hit the pause button, we're really sorry about the, the next hour of your life. <laughs> Thank you both so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Taylor. Joshua. We have a very special sponsor for this show. Woohoo! Not my not our last, but the last for a while. <laughs> Today's sponsor is Ichiban Steakhouse. Oh <gasps> yes. And you know exactly Ichiban. why I picked Ichiban or why Ichiban, Ichiban reached out to us and said, Can we sponsor the show? Can we be your sponsors? If listeners may not know Probably. that sort of a UBC staple is anytime we have a celebratory moment or we have a staff development day where there's a little bit extra money in the budget. We have collectively taken our talents to Fuji. Ichiban. Well, well, yeah. We've taken, what do you call that? Um, uh, hibachi restaurants. Hibachi restaurants. So it used to be Fuji. So it used to be Fuji. Same same outfit, same workers, same owner. I just moved over to the Ichiban location. Yeah. What's your favorite? Over the years, have you developed a favorite? We always get the, the special, which is um, hibachi, but you pick your meat. What's your meat? Uh, it is either shrimp or steak, or if I'm feeling particularly like you know a baller sometimes i'll get shrimp and steak yeah i've done that with um scallops and steak oh you know what for as expensive his food has gotten i've kind of impressed that the lunch special prices considering what you're getting it is like 13 or 15 yeah it's like pretty competitive because yeah. it's like a ugh, stop it siri she's oh my gosh so this is funny what is siri doing i um I, <laughs> so Siri, when she, so I have my, listeners, I have my ear pods in. Yeah. And since one of the updates, she, um, this new feature is she'll just start reading you text messages that what? you get while your AirPods are in. <gasps> okay. Take them out. Well, and then what's wild is this has happened to me a few times now. Okay. Um, if you're talking to somebody else. Mm-hmm. She doesn't wait for you to say Siri respond. She just starts taking whatever you're saying. And she's like, he's talking to me. And and puts it in as a text response. So this is my family, the revivalry one we call it with okay. my mom, the Carlson, several other kids, several other kids. Yeah. And it's like somebody texted something about Cala getting into a college and then all of a sudden I'm saying and complaining about Ichiban and <laughs> talking about the prices and it's like, big yeah, long text. Ichiban. So that's what was happening. Okay. 
Um, no, Siri, I don't want you to tell them about Ichiban prices. So, uh, well, this is still the commercial. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Ichiban's going to want their money back for this, <laughs> this ad spot. Although they're getting a lot of exposure. We're saying yes. their names a lot. We're talking about Ichiban um, a lot. Yeah, so what we're saying is very reasonable cost for such a high-end yeah. meal. Yeah. Um, yeah, so go to Ichiban. They're located. And it's such a fun place to do a group meal. Yeah, it's it's worth it. Now they're at 2501 South Jack Culkin Expressway. Mm-hmm. That's right over by the, um, the what is it, the, the Bubba's 33 and uh-huh. the Orshalin Farm Supply Store, that all parking lot, Old University High School. Yeah. Uh, you can give them a call at 254-313-1067, 313. 313- 131067 or check out ichiban.com ichibanwaco.com to look at the menu and yeah. see what your options are so good and we're back yeah taylor yeah. we're doing stuff backwards today yeah so we're going to start with the quiz Great. Uh, which would normally come right before the the uh ad spot which would come at the end of the weekend roundup which yeah. would be before the main topic before the main topic. but it's all backwards exactly so think of this symmetrically so it's our last time to quiz each other for the time yeah being and i um i sort of got selfish okay i wanted you to give me a bible quiz um you did but you're um you're not giving the quiz today you didn't tell me no i know no i've like thought of this today it's not your fault okay and um so then I thought, well, um, one last moment to I, show off your. Bible yeah, knowledge. yeah, I did. So I did this jet punk quiz. You could just <laughs> Bible. And I came up with a quiz. Most mentioned names in the Bible. OK. OK. So we'll just do this together. OK. Um, I have the answers in front of me, but we, it'd be fun to talk it out. OK. okay? There's yeah. a couple surprises in here that I want to talk about. OK. OK. I'm interested. Um, just to give you a range, there's like probably 40 of these. OK. And the one spot with 1,370 mentions is. Jesus. Yep. Okay. Okay. And the last spot. But was, that is interesting. Like, he just has like one third of the book. Do you know what I yeah, mean? Yeah. Well, they, they say his name a lot. They really, yeah, they really mention yeah. him um, once he shows up. And then in, in like last place of the ones they listed, right? There's people who are mentioned, but mentioned less. But the last name mentioned on this list is in 41 times is, is Balak. Okay. Wow. So um, I don't expect you to get all of them, but I just right. want to point out some fun features. And I'll give you hints to get them. Okay. Okay. Number two doesn't surprise me. Mm-hmm. Um, so after Jesus, most mentions. Okay. Can you give me some parameters? About- yeah, I will say this. I will say that <laughs> obviously just given the scope of the length of the books. Yeah. There's way more Old Testament characters in the top ten than there are New Testament characters. Okay. okay? Yeah. And how many times is he mentioned? Jesus or this number two? Number two. Nine hundred and sixty-eight. Moses. Good guess. Okay. Moses, though, this is third. It's third. So this is the one um, person who's mentioned more than Moses, but less than Jesus. Abraham. Okay, I would have thought that too. Abraham, surprisingly, is down to like six. Oh. And the person at five just stunned me when okay. I thought about it. Okay, t- so the, this is person in two. Behind Jesus, before Moses. And ahead of Abraham. It's like, okay. Adam. Have, yeah, no. Oh. Adam, Adam's not even in the top. That was, 40. why did you do that to me? I uh, felt like I got it. Well, I would say Adam looms large in terms of being a theologically significant well, actor in the Bible. Well, I'm just thinking about like, it feels to me like if you were. Think of this. Think of your covenants. So you have Abrahamic and Mosaic, which you mentioned. Yeah, but. Just one other giant covenant that prefigures Jesus' identity. 
Okay. I just feel like it can't be Noah. Noah is in the top whatever. That surprised me. Okay. He's like, like in the 30s. Like then. Elijah then or something like um, that. Elijah is 91 mentions. Um, Noah's wow. 47. This person is 900 and they 68. are Old covenant. covenant that I cannot think of. You're going to you're like, as soon as I say it. Um, Mosaic, Abrahamic. Noahic, got that. Yeah. Edemic, got that. Yeah. The other major covenant. I feel insane. Uh, Leviticus. Levitical people. Nope. There's not a person named Leviticus. Levitical. Levitical. Nope. Um, you want a hint? Yes, I do. I'm feeling very silly. I right think now. that he has the most versatile skill set in terms of at least what narratives are said about him. Like he's known as this, and he's known as this, and he does this, and he does this. I'm completely drawing a blank. I'll give you another hint. Okay. He, his rise to power shifted the way Israel conceived of themselves. Wait, they? is it David? David. Oh King my. David. I Kingdom. feel so silly. David in the number two spot. Moses in the number three spot. Okay, number four ahead of Abraham, uh-huh. but not unlike Abraham. Well, and you said five was a surprise, right? Yeah. Okay, so number four. So number four, like Abraham, but ahead of Abraham. Ahead of Abraham? Yeah, this makes sense when you just think about this, the, the amount of chapters that each of these people are given. Okay. So I'm thinking specifically of the patriarchs. Yeah. So he, in fact, has more space in his story than Abraham does. Yeah. Um, my brain was not prepared. I'm thinking of, okay, before Abraham. Not chronologically before Abraham, sorry. I'm saying before, before Abraham, Abraham on the, the list. In the amount of times he's listed. Yes. Um, okay. I see. Wait, okay, because Abraham is six. We've already talked about all these things. Yeah, Abraham is six. Abraham is six, okay. Seven, actually. But... Oh, seven. Yeah. Um, okay. Interesting. Can I give you a hint? Okay. Yes, please. Coat. Oh, oh, Jacob. Yep. Which you think about it, his story starts in 29 and it goes all the way through the, till the Joseph narrative. Yeah. Well, I just feel like the earlier you are, it's like they love to friggin' list things. Do you yeah. know what I mean? So mm-hmm. it's like your name would just get listed more yeah. and more times. Okay. Number five <sighs> stunned me. Really stunned me. Okay, I'm but excited. if if I can say this, um, it makes sense in that David is so prolific, and he had his name had proximity to David's story so much. Jonathan. Well, Jonathan is on here, and he's uh, eighty three mentioned, so he's higher than I think for the same reason because of his David proximity. Yeah. But if you think about the narrative in First and Second Samuel, he's clearly the most other mentioned name. <laughs> uh, Nathan. Nope. What? Uh, clearly the most other mentioned name with David. Mm-hmm. Who's the prophet that's with David? You're right. It was Nathaniel. Nathaniel. Well, Samuel right. is the, but Nathan- Nathaniel's the one I think that comes and confronts Nathan, or, um, David, David. He, with Bathsheba. Yeah. But Samuel is the prophet who instituted David's kingship. Oh, so it's Samuel that's first or Nathaniel? Nope, neither of them. Oh, wait. 
Samuel's 121, so he's almost top 10. <laughs> no, this is the person who gets mentioned the most because of David. Because of their proximity to David's story. You ready? Yeah. Saul. Oh, okay. Of yeah. course. That, makes that one blew my mind, though, because he's ahead of Abraham. Also ahead of Abraham. And this is... Um, so... So this is the same thing. Saul is fifth because of his proximity to David. This person is sixth, and I think it's because of their proximity to Moses, who's third. Um, his brother. Yep. Aaron, who's sixth. Aaron, yeah. Then... Then seven. Then the other side of David. So if Saul was in front of David, the other side of David. Behind. Was. Said to have written. Sol- Moses. Song of. Oh, Song of Solomon. Even that was okay. Then finally, the other New Testament figure. Who would be in second place after Jesus? Oh, okay. Um, Paul? I thought that too, but no. Because, Peter? Yeah. Because mm-hmm. I think it's the, the the narrative, the Gospels. Yeah. Okay. Well, yeah, yeah. Peter's then, in the Gospels. After Peter, well, it will quit after a couple. What years. number are we on? So this person, let's see, seven, eight, nine. This person's t- tenth. Okay. Which, interestingly, the first letter of their name corresponds to that number in the alphabet. So it's the tenth letter of the alphabet. Oh wow. Oh, a J name. Mm-hmm. There's none of those. Um, is it Old Testament or New Testament? Old. Hmm. I don't know. I'm wanting it to be someone crazy like Absalom or something. Well, there's, like that. why would I know that J is the tenth letter of an alphabet offhand? I don't know, because you know a lot of crazy weird things. Because my name starts. Oh, with Josh. You uh. Joshua. Coming in the 11 spot. Uh, 12. This is, I think, the most prominent figure uh-huh. name that shows up as a major character in both the Old and New Testaments. Joshua? Who's the New Testament Joshua? Oh, okay. Well, Jesus. Oh, good argument. <laughs> Thank you. Theologically clever. Um, and uh, semantically true. Uh, John. Uh, who's Old Testament John? I don't know what these things mean that you're saying. I'm saying they are a character in the Old Testament, okay. and they are a major and character. It's not the same person, the same okay. name. Uh, okay, so this is an Old Testament person. Um, where do you look? Where are they located? They are also a patriarch. Okay. But they're not... I need, I'm realizing how long it's been since I've read like Genesis or just like basic narrative, narratival. Yeah. Well, like, you've got rid of Abraham and you've gotten rid of Jacob. Yeah. So you got, you got a, a son and a great grandson left to choose from. A son and a great grandson left to choose from. <clears throat> um, did you say Abraham? Yeah, Abraham. Yeah. And Abraham's son was? Uh, I don't know. My brain's... I'm drawing a blank. And then his grandson was Jacob. Okay. And his great-grandson was? Mm-mm. Truly. I don't know oh, what's you know happening. What? I don't think I was prepared. You know what? We both screwed up before, <clears throat> but you screwed up. I said coat, 
And you said Jacob? <laughs> it's Joseph. Oh, Joseph oh, and the Code of Many Colors. Yeah, right, right, right. Uh, Joseph, though, is the answer to this. Oh. Joseph is the patriarch, and there's also Joseph, who is Jesus's earthly father right. in the New Testament. So he's the one who shows up in both. Joseph. Okay, and then we're going to quit with 12. Okay, okay, so the last one is the other New Testament figure. Paul. Yep. Okay. Paul's 12. That would be Yeah, 173. So you some think about, people though, are nuts. Yeah, he um, he's addressed a little bit towards. No, the, he shows up very late. I think it makes it makes sense yeah. to me. Yeah, you get his acts mentions beginning in his chapter nine. Yeah, what are this? And then you have. Um, okay, this is all making more sense now that I think about how I got everything mixed up. Okay, here's a fun bonus question for you. Okay, great. In this top forty or whatever it is, and that's all fifty, I bet. Oh, I, yeah, I think it's fifty. I think that was the name of the quiz. Um. There's one woman. Oh, no, two. Two women? I'm looking over this. Mary? I thought that too, but she's not. Mary doesn't even crack the top 50? She doesn't. I mean, think about after the first. She is the mother of Jesus. I know, but after Luke 1 and 2 or Matthew 1 and 2, yeah, how often do you true. hear her name? That's true. You're making some good points. Um, but who are some other matriarchs that would feature, feature heavily? Deborah, not a matriarch. Um, I'm sorry. So, is it are these New Testament people or Old Testament? People? Old Testament. Uh, Sarah. And it corresponds to the the mentions of. Actually, no, because Abraham was seventh and Sarah's ahead of this person, but she was the spouse of this person who finished fourth, which was Jacob. I preached about her Sunday. I didn't. We had crying babies. I didn't really. Oh, get I heard to you pee. had a lot of kids. We had fifty-seven children. There My mom was um in the rooms, and she said, "Do you know how many kids there were in there?" Yeah. Very exciting. It was Rachel. Rachel, yeah. Yeah. So Rachel gets mentioned, and Leah doesn't. Um. Well, I figure Rachel is typical Jake, Jacob's wife, so she plays all over. Leah's just in that one book chapter. One story. Twenty-nine. Okay. Well, Taylor, that was the Bible person quiz. That was very fun. I. Um, I I feel like very inspired to go back and look at the Genesis narratives. They're rich. I, just, I haven't read them in so long. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. They're rich. They're and they're so good. One time I did. I used to have a bracket in one of the Bolton boards I would create, mm-hmm. and I would like do sixty four team bracket tournaments and let people vote. And I did one with books of the Bible. There are 66. So I had to condense two. I did first and second Chronicles or something throwaway. Right. That was going to lose in the first round anyways. Uh-huh. And the championship, you want to know what it was? What was it? Genesis versus John. Which is so fitting anyways, Ooh. theologically and otherwise. Yeah. Two mythic creation storytellings at the beginning. Yeah. Um, and also like, uh, but also I feel after the beginning, Genesis moves into like, Pretty, like, grounded, embodied storytelling. Yeah. Although, yeah, it's all creation myth stuff. Yeah. And John stays pretty heady. Mm-hmm. I think that's a very interesting Yeah. pairing. Okay. Well, there's that. Thanks for playing that quiz. I enjoyed that. Of course. That was very fun. Well, Taylor. Joshua. We have a few things in this episode. One, I wanted to say this. Have you watched Baylor Men's B-Ball lately? Yes. I watched them on Saturday. Oh, my gosh. They're... They are clicking at the right time. Yeah, they are. They really are. Which happened last year, too. Yeah, nice win there. Um, uh-huh. And then they beat Texas last night. 
They did? Yes, they just have Iowa State left. Was that the women or also the men? I think the women clobbered last night, but the men won last night too. Okay. They beat Texas. Yeah. So there's that. And there's just Iowa State and then the championship Mm -hmm. or then the tournaments. If they beat Iowa State and then win a game in the tournament, I think there's a chance they could be a one seed. You think so? Yeah. They're all the way up to three now. Yeah. People like Baylor for some reason. Um, It is kind of a strange... Sorry, I moved away from the microphone. It is kind of a strange feeling after like so long of people being like, Baylor's no good. I know. So here we are. But I'm excited for them. Mm -hmm. I'm also excited to see if they put LSU and Baylor in the same bracket for the women's. For the women's. I would love that. That'll be strange. Yeah. Um, Yeah. That'll be strange, but interesting, Mm -hmm. you know. And then um, Taylor. Yes. Um, I just want you to know the Bucks are going to win the NBA Finals again this year. Okay. Are yeah. you sure? No, not at all. Oh. Not confident at all. But they could emerge from the East again. Yeah. I just think that either the Suns or the Warriors are probably going to be tough mm. to beat, unless there's injuries. Yeah. And I'm not even well, sure the Bucks will get there. If Durant comes back and they figure out the Simmons thing, the Nets are always a threat. Right. The 76ers are not a cakewalk. Chicago's good this year. Watch yeah. out. There's yeah. a lot going on. Yeah, there's a lot going on. I kind of like the Chicago team. They remind me a little bit of the 2004 Pistons team that won the... Um, mm. I, I have always felt this, but this is the clearest way to articulate this. I just saw this recently. Okay. There's not one member of that 2004 NBA Finals team that was in the NBA Top 75. Not one. Mm-mm. And I think maybe that's the only championship team that is the case. And that's exactly how they looked and played. It, like five really good players who bonded. So that is so interesting. It also feels very similar to what. Um, I mean, you kind of always knew Dirk was a superstar, but like everybody else mm-hmm. on that 2011 Mavs team that won the championship was like not really that. Like it was really a team. You know what I mean? So. Mm, I think really I think Dirk carried them. I'm... Well, no, there were a lot of other moving pieces. Uh, no way. Like, you say no? I mean, this is a compliment for Dirk. I think he won that championship with like the lowest amount of talent around him <laughs> of any team that's won. Uh, no, he had Nash, didn't he? No, no he had Kid. Uh, yeah. No? Did he have Kid? Yeah. But Kid was at the end of his career. Um. Yes. Very end. Okay, Damn. and they had Jason Terry, who was, like, good in that series. Yes. And who was their big guy they had? Um, I can see him. Uh, and I can't think of him. Because pretty, like, almost immediately they traded for Tyson. Chandler. Chandler. Yeah. No, my point is this. Like, that Pistons team, like, all five of those guys. They were good, but at not At one point great. were all stars. Yeah. Right? And, yeah. like, pretty pretty at the top of their game together. Yeah. But there wasn't, like, a superstar on that team. Yeah. Interesting. So. Yeah, you're definitely right. Because there were moments when it was, like, wow, Dirk really, yeah. Dirk is like, a top ten scorer. Friggin' made it happen. Yeah. yeah. So, there's that. That's interesting. Um. Okay, I need to transition out of sports. Do we? Well, we don't have to. I'm just saying. Yeah. I, I have uh, fallen out of watching the NBA right now because college basketball is so interesting. It is interesting. Um, hey, did you hear? I didn't hear this. 
that Aaron Rodgers and Shailene Woodley broke up? Um, yeah, I we broke the news on the show. We did? Yeah. When? A couple weeks ago, Aaron Hill even texted me and said, I didn't believe you because I hadn't heard that yet, but I checked it out and you were right. Okay. And I said, uh, it was either this or number one trusted news network in the world. Number one trusted <laughs> news network in the world. Um, okay. I don't remember talking it's about it. It's on the air recorded. I'll play. go look. I'll go look. Yeah. But um, I found that very interesting. They're both in like. Well, I think that Rogers, I've been wondering a while. I think he feels 5'8"-ish to me. <laughs> what do you mean? Like he's either five or an eight. Oh, oh, I see. I'm sorry. I, I don't think he's. I thought you were saying he's. Who has moved to his no, eight he, space lot? I he's not a five, Josh. Yeah, he is. He can't be a five. Yes. He wouldn't believe so many dumb things if he was a five. No, he's like committed. That's the thing. He's like all in on whatever he believes. And he's like, this is not me picking on. I, I think he's the most athletically talented quarterback ever. He's not the greatest because he's not a leader because he's so far inside of his own head, I think. Okay. Okay. That makes and sense. And he's like, he does like weird quirky fight. Like he does crossword puzzles all the time. He consumes knowledge all the time. He crushes Jeopardy. He won. He hosted Jeopardy. Yeah. I think he could be, you could be a seven and be like that. He's not a seven, I don't think. Yeah, it's not very fun. No. <laughs> Although, there's, I'll have to send you an SI story. He does have that streak. I don't know. My guess was five who gets in that eight space because he's been very contrarian this year. Yeah. I think he's also, and this is privileged stuff, but I think he's feeling attacked, which has made him like do yeah. it more. He's right. doubled down. Sure. Anyways, yeah, they, they split. She seems seven-ish to me. Well, she doesn't seem like any fun to me, so... That's uh, hard. Actually, I mean, I, I don't have much on her, like, to go with. But she just seems like, ah! Uh, no, I think she's kind of, like, four-ish. Oh, that could be. Like, very serious, you okay. know, takes herself very seriously. Um, But we'll see. Man, Aaron Rodgers, what a guy. What a guy. Um. Okay, yeah, let's transition out of sports. Uh, okay, I want to talk Ukraine-Russia. Okay. Golly gee. Yeah. Seems so sad. Well, I just, um, I saw a horrifying video, and the only reason I'll talk about it is because the person lived. Okay. But there was a Russian tank just driving around a street in Ukraine. Yeah. And I went back and looked, because the thing says swerves, like trying to miss. Yeah. But it looks like it turned into on purpose, but just drives right on up over a car and crushes it. Oh, shit. And, like, people are screaming in the video, but then they, like, follow up and they like, pull the guy out of the car and he's okay. Okay. He's like, thank God, like, the tank went over the front and the back of the car. Yeah. But it's just, it looked horrible. But, so here's a question I had for you. Yeah. So I was talking about this um, with friends on Friday. Sure. And, of course, I'm very aware that the way I receive news through history is not just white western but is also American interest news. Sure. It's like countries are always fighting, right? Yeah. Like why has this one captured the world's attention so vividly, right? Um, sure. And I, like some of the reasons I've been given are um, it's uh, it's one sovereign nation invading another. Sure. It's not an insurgency or it's not a civil war, right? Right, yeah. The other one is that... Um, 
they aren't just invading for a criminal re- like they obviously Putin has told lies to his country. Um, yeah. But they are are going to take take it over long term, right? Is the plan right? Yeah. Not just to like get even or to or get take something a resource really or, quickly, right? right? It's yeah. like they're so there's that. It's like I get that, but I'm also like, oh, like if the thing that's breaking your heart is that people are dying, well, that happens. Yeah. All the time in war and in countries. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that may, if anything just shows that we're maybe a little immune and perhaps a little racist globally to what's happening. Yeah. Like I saw a montage of videos yesterday and it was basically talking about, it was all these reporters saying like not meaning to be racist, but like essentially saying like, well, the, this is not Syria. This is the Ukraine. Right. Like, well, of course that happens in Syria. Right, because a lot of they're talking to about refugees, and there is some racist stuff about why other European countries are like without qualification accepting Ukraine refugees that wouldn't accept Syrian refugees. Right, Um, and one reporter even said, "Well, to be honest, it's because they're a white Christian." Just went down the list. Yeah, yeah, I've seen a lot of that as well of people kind of saying like, "It's so sad," like. These people, it's like children with blue eyes and blonde hair. It's so sad that they're dying. And it's like, okay, well, that is racist. Yeah. So. um, The other thing I've really felt torn about. So I'm very clear. I think Russia is awful and in the wrong. Although I think that is complex, too. And I'll share that in a second. Okay. Um, But I. So, like, I'm a pacifist. Sure. And the way I own my pacifism is I say that, but I've never been confronted right. in a situation where I, and who knows what I would do. Of course. I, maybe a better thing to say is I think Jesus has called me to nonviolence. Right. I am a little surprised by some of my pockets of um, friendship, Christian thoughtful friendship that aren't just condemning Russia, but sort of implicitly celebrating the violence. Um, yeah. Like Ukraine's getting even. And obviously I think... You know, geopolitically, if there is no God, Ukraine should, Ukraine should definitely defend themselves. Right. But I just am always so confronted in these moments. Like, do I actually believe in nonviolence? Right. You know? Yes. So. What do you, what is the decision you come to? Well, you know, I always think of Bonhoeffer who was first in the plot to kill Hitler. Right. But then. You see, I don't even know how to caricature Bonhoeffer because he died because he was executed, right? Mm-hmm. Like, is he really a pacifist? Does he get to say that? Right. Um, I think MLK in that regard shines a little brighter than most people. Right. Because um, he never was violent. Right. He Gandhi really... certainly yeah. is a shining star, too. Right. Um, and, and passive, nonviolent resistance. No, active, nonviolent resistance. Right. Um. I don't know, right? Like, because if, if all of a sudden Russia is is here in our, our backyard door. Yeah. and they're shooting bombs at my house uh-huh. and, like, I can pull a trigger to save my family, am I going to do it? Right. Well, and there are many that talk about Christian violence um, as, like, that is, like, the only reason to protect others, you know? Or... Yeah. I think Augustine has something about that and that gets used to formulate just war theory. Yeah. I don't know. It, it's it's so complicated. I, I certainly don't um, have any judgment for the people of Ukraine right now. Um, 
um, Christian or otherwise, because I don't, I would, I would have to get on my high horse to try and say something like that. Right. But I just, I'm always reconfronted by the complexity of this part of discipleship in these yes. moments. Yeah. And then I always think, well, okay, Jesus was nonviolent, and the early church was, but did they have another choice? Right. Exactly. <laughs> they they were. Have, I mean, well, and I guess you know, you have Simon the Zealot who was called. And you have the Maccabean revolt. So that, that instinct was certainly alive in the psyche of the first century Jewish person. Right. That's um, true. But it's like if you could reasonably defend your home, you had that power within grasp. Yeah. Would it be as easy to be convicted about your pacifism? Right. It's hard, too, because like I think one of the ways that pacifism is powerful is its narratival value. Right. But like in modern-day warfare... It's like bombs blowing up buildings and killing hundreds of people at once. Most of them innocent and have there's no there's no redemptive narrative like they chose to accept death. It's right, just sure. it's the chaos of war that well, it's not like Putin's like oh I can't believe they self self sacrificially gave their lives. I'm going to change now because right. I saw the power of nonviolence. But you're still not supposed to like it is at one point they bombed like a oh, hospital full yeah, of no. civilians like well, that is a war crime. So then this is what I was going to say about the complexity of this for the Russians, too. Mm-hmm. So there was a text thread. I saw this between a mother and a son. Yeah. yeah. And then somebody in the comment thread very astutely said, well, that's really great. But how do you know this isn't fake? Right. And then the person who posted said, great question. It was used on the floor of the Ukrainian whatever by Zelensky in a speech. Oh, okay. So who knows? Maybe it is propaganda. Sure. But that at least adds a little credence because he knows there is a global audience watching. Right. But listener, if you don't know, the text was between a Russian soldier and his mom. Mm-hmm. His mom didn't know, allegedly, that he had even been part of an army that invaded Ukraine. Right. Um, and there is also his, um, his cognitive distance being expressed. Like, these people are dying to keep us out of their city because they love it. And it's not at all what we've been told about them being. Right. He said they, we thought we were told they would like welcome us with open arms. Yes. Because they wanted us to come and free them. Right. And that's not the case. And yeah, it's not at all the case. And I do think like that is the power of, if not the nonviolent message, their Christian message, mm-hmm. which is that I have to see my enemy as a human. Right. Um, and it's it's like easy, I think, right now to make pro Ukraine and implicitly then condemn Russians and Russian soldiers. Right. But I think the complexity is there are probably Russian soldiers who are involved in this who don't even know what's going on. Well, I do think that has been one of the more compelling elements of like of being able to maintain like oh, it, uh, there it seemed. Like, to remember the humanity of Russia, right? Yeah. And then on, <clears throat> right, I think on Thursday or Friday night, mm-hmm. there's those videos of, like, thousands of Russian right. citizens, like, protesting and saying, get out of Ukraine. And um, Well, I think that's the complexity, and we saw this with the war on terrorism, mm-hmm. air quotes, is that yeah. it's no longer going to be wars about against nations anymore. It's wars against people with power. Yeah. 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 Um, and so going back to where I started about one nation and invading a sovereign nation. Uh-huh. So we were talking about this Friday and when that definition was given, both me and Noel, my sister were like, but didn't we invade Iraq? <laughs> like right. One nation invaded another sovereign nation who now I will say had a dictator sure. who really abused, um, human rights. Yeah. 
but did not have weapons of mass destruction. Right. And there were hundreds of thousands of civilian casualties in that war. Right. And so, again, to just the complexity right. of our moral judgments. Of course, yeah. And, yeah, especially what... I do think that's part of what... Um, like the reaction of, uh, you know, sort of Gen Z millennial people is like you grew up either having your country be in a war mm -hmm. that felt that was at the bottom, like bottom line when you were a child at least felt confusing. Like, why are we mm -hmm. in this place? Why is our country, you know, like why is our army in this place? Yeah. Um, didn't feel particularly like morally sound. Do you know what I mean? Like, I think in a lot of ways people say that like, the Nazis were the last, you know, World War II was the last war that everybody was kind of on board with and could say, like, right. obviously we need to go yeah. help, even though the reality is that Russia did much of the stuff, many of the things that ended the war. Um, and uh, so <clears throat> so if, when you don't grow up thinking, like, you know, 1980s Ronald like Re like Reaganism stuff you don't grow up thinking like this is the best most moral country in the world sure of course you'll have different feelings about the morality of your country than yeah. like just in the it really was in the 80s like we're the best so yeah. I don't know it's just it's interesting to think about and that a lot of this is like a lot of the reactionary of Gen Z and millennials comes from that. Like that is a baseline of why they're so different, you know? Yeah. I think it's interesting too, you talking about these other countries. Uh, I think one of the hard things about geopolitics is that um, these stories never end either. Right. Right. Like I think Putin right. in large part is acting because of a vision of the Soviet Union from the eighties. Right. And before. Right. And that, um, you know, Afghanistan, a conflict that took 20 years of our lives and resources, was a conflict that really found its its beginnings because of the Afghan-Russian conflict in the was it late 70s, mm -hmm. early 80s. Yeah. And I didn't know anything about that until I watched Charlie Wilson's War. Have you ever seen that movie? I don't think I've ever seen Tom it, but Hanks. it has Tom it's Hanks. Yeah, fascinating uh, piece of history. So, um, yeah, these things just become, it's, it's Hegel, right? It's thesis, right. antithesis, synthesis. Right. So there's something that will come out of this Ukrainian-Russian conflict that will be the, the beginnings of a, another conflict in 20 yeah. years. Something we'll see uh, further down the road. Yeah. But my God. Yeah. This is, I think it's, I, I, let's be honest, this is staggering and unnerving because it's a country like us. Yeah. White, Western, and... and Political and which you know, I do largely think, Christian, at least in paper. Ooh, with, which I do think like is uh, it does show like the roots, right, of like a certain type of racism that is carried sort of globally, globally, Not right? Just yes, exactly, and yeah. um, that is. Uh, Oh man, that's really gross. You know, like yeah. it. I mean, we were talking about this earlier, but I don't. I didn't really respond. But it's uh, a. 
um, I mean, it's like it's being reported that people of color are having a harder time getting out. Like people that were there for studying, like yeah. that they are having a harder time getting out of Ukraine and into other countries. I saw that too. Um, and, um, and then also the other countries are not as likely to be helpful to them. And, uh, it's kind of insane that that, that that is still a reality. It's still a reality. And that it's a reality during like a time of war. Do you know what I mean? Like, I feel like, and it just is one of those things that like, uh, Uh, is another moment where I feel so reminded that uh, so often my whiteness protects me from even thinking about things like that. Mm -hmm. Do you know what I mean? That there would be people during a time of war who would care about like, um, you know, the color of a person's skin and that would determine whether or not they help them. That seems insane to me. Yeah. But it is the reality that like my, friends who are people of color and people of color I know have always been telling me that it affects like everything everywhere, you know? So, um, it just is, it's so insidious, you know? Mm -hmm. And it just pops up all the time and is proof that we have to, I mean, that it's proof to me of like how important it is to do the work of anti-racism for ourselves and in the people like, you know, try to helping people around us because mm-hmm. it's everywhere. Yeah. Uh, and it's, I think maybe, a, an another available way to turn the diamond to see the, the truth of it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, cause it's not America it's so far away and it's right. Yeah. Uh, well, one other thing about this war and then we should probably move on Okay, is uh, there is a real nervousness that because it's, to sovereign European countries. Yeah, that this could be the the, the gateway to a bigger war of global yeah. conflict, yeah. which is unnerving. Certainly. So. I have heard... Um, it's so interesting um, to hear things that are so behind the scenes that like normal people don't get to see them. But I have heard, I mean, I feel like people just keep talking about Joe Biden's like international diplomacy and how he is really behind the scenes and making a lot of this happen. Um, Like that he, you know, all of, like many of Russia's assets around the world have been frozen by other countries Mm -hmm. and including um, Switzerland. Yeah. Which is a place known for its neutrality. Yeah, did you see that meme? Yes. Uh, <laughs> uh, yes, there are so many videos that are funny. Um, but I have heard Joe Biden credited with like doing a lot of that huh. work. So that's been interesting. Well, I, I, I hate this because, you know, all these economic sanctions mean that uh, Russians will suffer, civilians will suffer. Right. Um, and people who protest in the war on the streets will suffer. Right. I do, though, think that short-term economic sanctions, if they can be short-term, is a less violent way to accomplish a resolution if it works. Right. Than going to war. Certainly. So. Well, yeah. I heard somebody told me there that Russia is losing $15 million, billion dollars a day. 
Which I don't, I mean, they're wealthy, but they're not that wealthy. They can't do that forever. Right. Well, yeah. Well, and I think more than that, because it's about people in power, uh-huh. it's the oligarchs will eventually turn on Putin. Yeah. And and he'll lose his support. Yeah. I saw a thing that was like, we should popularize calling American millionaires oligarchs. <laughs> well, <laughs> there's a couple that would be eligible for sure. Yeah. Um. All right. There's that. Well, Taylor. Yeah. I'll pull my list back up here. Um, You wanted to talk about TV shows. Okay. Yes. I've noticed a trend. I might have to... You might not be familiar with that. No, you're definitely familiar with one of them. But I've noticed this trend right now. We're doing a lot of... um, uh, I can't even quite think of the word, but... uh, You know Elizabeth Holmes and Theranos? Mm -hmm. Um, And they're putting out a... Hulu's putting out a movie, maybe a miniseries, okay. about uh, Elizabeth Holmes, and somebody's making a movie right now. Who's Elizabeth Holmes again? Oh, uh, oh, okay, great. Oh, this is so fun. Um, <laughs> she was the CEO of a company called Theranos, and she claimed, like at one point they had like a billion dollar um, partnership with Walgreens, okay. and they claimed to have, and she claimed mostly, to have made this machine that could test, like you could give it a drop of blood, uh-huh. and it would te- it would like give you back all this information. Okay, it would test for so many things. Okay. Um, it never existed or worked. Okay, like she tricked very many people into like investing in her company, um, and I mean, in some ways, it is like that is what investing in particularly like scientific products and stuff like that is like, right? That you're giving someone what? You take a risk. Yeah. You're giving someone money and saying like, I trust you're going to make the thing you're saying you're going to make. Yeah. But she knew very early on, she went to maybe Stanford for like a year. Okay. Um, and then she quit and was like, I'm going to make this thing. And, but she knew very early on that like the science does not exist yet. And she just kept being like, I'm going to make it, I'm going to make it, I'm going to make it. And so the question was kind of like, apparently towards the end also, she got very, uh, like intense. Like she really developed a personality around being the CEO of this company. That was fake. Yeah, and also she, uh, if you it's Amanda Seyfried. She's she's playing her blonde. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know her, um, and she's like, uh, part of what she did was she like lowered her voice. Okay. Like apparently she has a really she has kind of a deep voice, anyways. But there is this uh, part in the commercial where she's been talking normally the whole time, like when she's in college, and uh, you know all sorts of things. She sort of is like talking in a normal low voice. And then it's like the further you go into the show, um, the lower her voice gets. So there's this one part where she's like, this isn't just my work. (laughs) So is she doing that to act the part of this real human who did this? Yes. Yeah. Okay. And also at the end, uh, of like the company, Elizabeth Holmes bought this, like, uh, like a husky like it's supposed to be like balto you know because mm-hmm. a balto like saved oh yeah you know <laughs> and uh uh so anyways there's been the i feel like there's been this trend because there's also a show that's come out right now 
about Anna Delvey. Do you know who Anna Delvey is? Yes. She's the one who faked her worth in New York and all that. Yes. Yes. Okay. Yes. I read I, up on this. I would have guessed you. I would have guessed you knew the opposite one. Like I would have guessed you knew Elizabeth Holmes and not Anna Delvey. But anyways, so there's these scammers, right? Right now there's this like uh, trend. I like it. I feel like these people have become very popularized, like, um, for running these like pretty large scale scams. And I wonder if well, you had any thoughts about that. Here's my thoughts is, um, I think this is the same reason I love heist movies. Uh-huh. I think, and I bet eights would be able to identify this too. Mm-hmm. There's something very fun and almost, I don't want to say celebratory, Sure. but as a three who thinks, that's just really clever. Yeah. And I want to try and do that. I want to see how many people I can get to buy into something. Yeah. How long can I run a company? A fake company. Yeah. Just off of sheer charm and willpower and uh-huh. like those things. That part of it is fascinating to me. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I, w- I was listening to a podcast about Anna Delvey the other day. And it is like part of what she did was like she was rude to people all the time. Anna was? Uh-huh. And so they were like, so it was part of why people believed she was like an heiress was like, oh, it's like only someone with a lot of money would just be rude to people all the time, you know? And so I do think that's fascinating, like to think through the elements of, of what does it mean to look like a rich person so that people just believe you are a rich person. And, like, how rich do you have to pretend to be for other people to just, like, spot you money all the time, you know? Mm-hmm. So. Well, and I don't know. I mean, I, I want to be careful here because it's the church. But there have been times where what I was doing is I was learning leadership as I did this. Sure. And I realized, oh, like, I'm not any different than anybody else. All I did was have the courage to in- interject myself here. Yes. And I think that, you know, it's where all the, where all the scared chickens. Um, yeah. Like, I think that learning that people will give you trust uh-huh. is part of what leaders do. Yeah. And then sometimes people abuse it, though. Yeah. Right. Yeah. There's something to be said. The of... Anna one, that's the one played by um, Ozarks, right? Ozarks? Yeah. What's that show with Jason Bateman, Ozark? Ozark, yeah. Yeah, that girl, the blonde hair. Oh. You ever watch that show? No. I think she plays Anna, whatever her name is. Oh, okay. Um, oh, yeah. I Yeah, I the girl who plays Anna is blonde, so. I haven't watched it yet, but it is fascinating. Uh, and I guess, well, I guess some, the root of my question was like, why do you think other people, I mean, they're popular like stories at this point why do we like them yeah well just so it's why we like heist movies why do you think people because we want to know how they did it how they did it yeah that's what's fascinating it's like a it's an interesting biopic yeah right and um and because most people just don't think of doing things like that right i just listened to a planet money so apparently a large sum of money was stolen from some South Asian country. I think it was Bangladesh. Mm. And so they flew over this American crypto 
encryption guy, right? Yeah. To help them figure out what had happened. They've determined it's a vigilante group. Well, vigilante, probably government sanctioned group from North Korea that did this. Okay. Um, but they like frame the whole narrative of this Planet Money episode in like terms of the heist. Like they, it's like, and here's the getaway car. Yeah. You know, like here was what they did. They cased the place and they talk, they walked through this. But I just think that's, there's intrigue in that. Yeah. In, and sort of in money in general. Yeah. And it probably taps a different energy. Like I've asked Lindsay, why do you and so many women love true crime stories? Right. Yeah. And her answer, and I've heard it from other women, is I want to know how this happens so I can protect myself. Mm, but yeah. I think it's like a different kind of energy within us for, but same thing. It's like, yeah. how do they, how do they pull this off? Yeah. Yeah. Maybe I want to try that. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe and, that's just threes and eights. And I think, no, I don't think so. Well, I can even see the seven be like, woo, well, let's steal from the bank. Yeah, but they well, wouldn't I do it for the power like of the money; they do it for the thrill. Right, who you are, what your values are. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, because I can see a lot of numbers doing like a Robin Hood type thing. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I mean, you might get a six in there, or a one in there. To yeah, we should do an enneagram enneagram of robbing the bank. <laughs> enneagram robbing the bank. Um. Yeah. And well, there's also this Pam and Tommy Lee show out right now. Oh, yeah. That I think is also kind of like scammery. Who's playing Tommy Lee? Sebastian Stan. Oh, who else is in it that's famous? Uh, the girl that's playing Pamela Anderson's famous. Was Seth Rogen in it or something? Oh, what a great question. I don't know. Yeah. I do think there's a few other famous people in it. Yeah. But I haven't watched it yet. I, mean, I kind of was maybe not going to watch that one. Um, I was not going to watch it, except I've heard it's a very, like, careful treatment of, so far anyways, it's not all out yet, of, like, um, the difference between how the media treats men and women. Hmm. Um, yeah, I'm sure they didn't do it just to be expose, and I'm, I'm trust that it's tastefully done and it's not. Yeah. Just, um, was that, too, I'm wondering if it was, like, that the first major sex tape leak? That's the first one I remember, like as a child, and I don't remember. Because like, who's this really? happening to? It's happened to Kim Kardashian, right? Uh huh. Didn't it happen to uh, the hotel lady? The hotel lady? Yeah, she used to have the show with the other blonde, um, Hilton, Paris Hilton. Oh yeah. Didn't she have one? Yeah. And then I had wondered, like, it kind of became like, oh, your sex tape leak for wink, a minute. Wink. Yeah. So now you're famous. Well, but that's some of the question I think of this show is like. Also, okay. The, I don't, how much? Like, and this is probably not the point of this conversation, but like, I, well, you're a millennial. I, I'm, I'm a millennial. Sure. But like, Lindsay and I would never conceive to take pictures of ourselves and send it to each other. But oh, like, do okay. people They like do this, right? They do, yeah. Point being like, who who the, Lee records themselves having sex. Yeah. And then puts that in a digital space. Well, no, who records themselves having sex? Uh, but then and then puts that in places where that could be I don't know I just don't get it well that's part of the uh, my understanding is that's part of the Pam and Tommy Lee stuff she did not know apparently that he was recording it um, well it seems like maybe he did not know from the oh they didn't know they were being trailer recorded of the show um, but or maybe he had like a some sort of clue but didn't know yeah that's what there's Moments where there, she at least certainly is being like, "What? What is this? Where? Where did this come from?" Hmm. So, um, and then it seems like he's just kind of like, "It's gonna be fine. It's gonna be fine." Hmm. 
So I don't know if that means he did or didn't know, but there are certainly some other actors in the how this got released out into the world. That's wild. Absolutely wild. Well, and it's like a tape. It's actually a tape, right? Yes. So was that pre, not pre-internet, but it was... It was like early 2000s. 90s. No, it was yeah. in the 90s. I mean, you weren't sending videos across the web yet. No, yeah. So was this like re-recorded? So that's so crazy. And, How does it get like... Was it re-recorded and distributed that way? I guess, yeah. That's insane. Or, yeah. It seems to me that Recreated. would be much easier to prosecute though because you have something like evidence. Some, Yeah. Something. That's true. Um. Okay, can we go back to my question about the nudes? Yes. Okay. Why do people do that? Well, I don't... I mean, to each their own. Sure. Here's my question. Okay. Is that like super common, do you think? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Really? Yeah, very common, I think. Yeah. Like if you're just in a dating relationship these days, that's what you do. You send a picture of yourself. Uh-huh. Really? I'm, I'm surely not everyone. Do you know what I mean? But like. This is this thing where like I was startled to find that all the millennials were just having sex. Really? Without qualification. I mean, maybe it's like they weren't even, the Christian millennials weren't even hiding it anymore. Maybe that was the difference. So you were. Well, it's like our first episode. It was either this or, and then the thing about um, the, the watching TikTok now, but really it was about, um, what was that show? The, the Politician. And me just being oh. blown away by the sexual norms of Gen They're, Z. I think those are, yeah, those are Gen Zers. Um, yeah. So if if I just started dating tomorrow, God rest Lindsay's soul, right? And I want to date. You think the person say to me, send pictures of your? Well, I'm not gonna say these words on the internet. No, I don't know. Probably not right away. That's also, wild. nobody loves. Um, the female body is much more beautiful than the male body. <laughs> yeah. That's my other question. Is who, <laughs> who wants those pictures? Yeah, great question. Yeah, I guess it depends, but. Okay. Um, there's a line in Mean Girls the Musical about it. Mm. Well, Lillian listens to that. I may have to check that out. Okay, well, I digress. That was not on the list. Sorry, listeners who hung around that are guest yes. listeners. <laughs> I do think, but yes, I do think it's a, a pretty normal thing. Okay, well, I'm glad I was born when I was and not later. Um, all right. The uh, This is what I have for us. Okay. Do you have other things? Um, not in particular, no. Okay, I've been packing up my office. Okay, our And office. I had this list that, well, it's really pre-pandemic because that was like the last time I was in my office consistently. Right, yeah. But same. I just started trying to loosely organize um, my favorite sermon illustrations. Okay. So I thought like, you know, last episode for a while. Yeah, let's I would just go over this it. and tell you the ones all these years later that I really love. I love it. And Great some of idea. Them you'll probably know because I've used them a few times. Okay. Okay. Uh, number one, the John Lewis Christmas commercial. Which Christmas commercial? So every year, John Lewis, it's like a Macy's in England is how I think I understand it. Maybe a little higher end. Uh-huh. Okay does a christmas commercial and they're always just really either unique or interesting but my favorite one i think is 2011 Mm -hmm. and it's the one and it's the little boy during advent and he's like very nervous energy and it keeps like flashing to the advent calendar yeah and you think like oh he's just so excited to get his presents he can't wait for christmas and he's staring and it like annoys the parents because he's like so restless and then christmas morning happens (laughs) and he gets out of his bed and he runs past his presents that are set out for him. Yeah. And he goes and gets the presents that he wanted to give to his parents. Yes. 
Um, I remember that one. That one is beautiful. That's a good one. Okay, my other one? Yeah. This is also a commercial. Okay. And I can't remember the name yeah, of it. Yeah, I feel like you like commercials. Oh, I do. You can't remember the name of the... Um, the brand brand mm-hmm. but it's a candy bar okay and it's the world war Two christmas yeah no, world war one christmas treaty truce right where the germans and the british uh-huh. like called a truce and for christmas day they played together yeah and they played football and they gave each other haircuts and they sang together and then yeah he, um he guy goes back to his bunker and he puts his coat on for war and the guy slipped him a candy bar mm-hmm. chocolate bar yeah Okay. Can I keep going? Yeah, please. Okay. Number three. Yeah. The audio clip of Tom Long when he's talking about the chaos of the service when the kids made bread and dough and they're like trying to bake it and the oven didn't work. And it's all part of the sermon and he's in there and it's like it's getting out of hand. And there's flour everywhere. <laughs> and then at the end he says, you know, made the peace of God, something, something. Yeah. And then the kid screams from the back. It already is. Yeah. It's really beautiful. Yeah. Okay, number four, Tom Long. This one I know you'll know because I've used it at least three times. The whisper <laughs> test. Yes. The Marion Bird story where she her goes, teacher her teacher says, I wish you were my little girl. Yeah. Okay, number five. Oh, I'm getting emotional. I know. Aren't they just great? Yes. The number five is the Catholic priest who, um, World War One. his, uh, I think American friends want to bur- bury him in the Catholic graveyard. Uh-huh. And um, they, he says, well, you can bury him outside the fence. He's not Catholic. Uh-huh. And then they, um, they come back the next morning to like find the grave one more time and say goodbye. And yeah. then they can't find it, and they go knock on the door, and the priest says, I got up in the middle of the night, and I moved the fences. Yeah. Whew. Oh, these are working. Good. Yes. <laughs> Taylor's crying just hearing about the sermon illustrations. Oh, I mean, like, uh, well, but that one is so beautiful. Yeah. Like. Okay, number six. Uh, the Carney story of Roy spending $750 on Dragon Gold <laughs> through the internet for his I m- can't even imagine. I've heard, I know I've heard this story before, but like, what did you do? Like, you must have lost your mind. Well, I hyperventilated, but I like quickly made peace. I'm like, okay, worst case scenario, we can do this and we can move on. Right. And then it worked. Okay. The next one. I call this uh, the Joel Bailey funeral story. Okay. So my friend Joel Bailey's pastor. Right. And he um, he got called, as we sometimes do, to do a funeral for a family. Yeah. Where the individual was like in jail and yeah didn't really know. Maybe somebody came to church once or maybe the county called him, whatever. Right. And he went and he did the funeral and like he said goodbye to the family at the end. And one by one they came and gave him a hug. And the last guy was like, thanks, pastor. Like... We took up a collection to, to say thank you mm-hmm. and like just like put money in his hand and it was like wadded up bills. Right. And um, Joe was telling us this story. And he said it was like $13.72. And he said, that's the most money I've ever got paid to do a funeral. Right. Um, that was, I just, I always thought of the widow's might when I. Right. Okay. Um, okay. This one's just more scientific and fun. The Himba tribe and the color palette. Okay. Yeah. And about the inability to see the color green because or blue because they didn't have a word for it. Yeah. And I always use that Homer example about Homer describing the sea as wine dark because there was no word for blue. Yeah, blue is one of the last colors described. Yeah. Um, 
I have some other notes here. I can't read. Okay, then another one is from my pastor in college. Uh huh. He has an autistic son. Uh huh. And one day they were playing freeze tag. And um, love freeze tag. His son got frozen. Uh-huh. And um, none of the other kids would unfreeze him. Uh-huh. And so, but he was autistic, so he was so committed. Whereas other kids would finally cheat and break right. after three minutes when nobody was looking. Right. His son yeah. wouldn't, and so then he finally ran out and he touched his son. He said, "You're unfroze." And his son started running around again. Uh-huh. Um, that one. Yeah. Um, okay. The, another one is um, the story about Lily giving Mabel a cherry uh-huh. um, after Mabel had stole her cherry off for Sunday. Yeah. And then the lady brought her more and then Lily had like five. So she gave Mabel one. Yeah. Um, and then my response to that, because I told that story. And then a couple years later, I get the kids ornaments in their shoes for St. Nick's Day every year. Uh huh. Yeah. And, um, one year, Lillian didn't put out her shoe because uh-huh. she forgot or because Lillian's like very forgetful. <laughs> so I'm like, okay, there's no shoe. There's no Christmas ornament. Right, yeah. We're going to teach her a lesson. I, mean, I was going to give her the Christmas. But like Mabel got up first uh-huh. and she saw that um, Lily didn't have one. Uh-huh. So she went and found a Sharpie and she wrote Lily's name after her. So it said Mabel and Lily. Oh. So oh, that one. That's so sweet. Yeah. Um, then another one. I don't remember. It's another commercial. There was a grandpa who is like, for the first minute and a half, practicing these words on a foreign language. Uh-huh. And like, it's in the bathtub he's practicing. It's, you know, right, yeah. And then at the very end, he rolls up t- with his luggage to his kid's house and mm-hmm. he sees his grandkid for the first time mm-hmm. and he greets them in their language. Yeah. That was really good. What the heck, Josh? I'm just Okay, crying. the Hal Warlick story. Just crying over here, yeah. That's the, uh, I hope I never hold anything in my life this is as precious. Is this okay. person's life? Yeah. He talks about the glass breaking. I just use that one. Yeah. Oh, I love that one. Um, here's another one. I used this one once. Um, it's Mary Alice Birdbustle's story. Oh. But she, um, you know, she has a, a breakable bones disease uh-huh. where she falls. She's very susceptible. Yeah. So she was in college in Kentucky. There's a few times where it would snow overnight. Uh-huh. And she would, like, go to the door. And, like, before anybody was up on campus, mm-hmm. somebody had shoveled from her like her walkway from her door to, to all the other so she have access to not fall yeah and she didn't know couldn't figure out one day she finally got early enough and she saw it was like the dean of students who was coming and doing it yeah um that's so nice i'm i'm almost done um, well i'm crying so <laughs> then the other one is the Coldplay. Yeah. Video with the autistic son. Yes. Which I've done that on, interestingly enough, um, Transfiguration Sunday. Oh. Which we just passed. So. Yeah. But that one. And then my last one on this side of the paper is the Leonard Castley Lord of Hutt. <laughs> it's the guy who in Australia found a loophole in like a law from the 1400s. Oh, yeah. And exposed it and overtook and was seceded from Australia so they didn't <laughs> have to pay taxes. <laughs> yeah. So... Those yeah. are my favorites. I had some others written on the other side of the ones I was going to use, but didn't ever get to. There so. are things, you, there are like illustrations you never got to? Well, I would just start writing them. And I'm like, that's a good story. I don't have any. It's, it doesn't really So I did use this last one. The Asian family re- reunited with their son after 20 or four years of being abducted. I showed that one. Oh, yeah. And that father who looked for him. Yes. And drove over 300,000. That miles. documentary. Yeah. Yeah. Um, 
I have this one uh, I never used. Paul Farmer, do you know who that is? He just died. No. So he set up, It's some. it has a very famous name, but he's like an international health person. He's done work in Haiti, Rwanda. Mm-hmm. But he built a pond in Rwanda with a giant window in his hospital mm-hmm. because he knew that like seeing things that were beautiful were just as important for healing. Yeah. And I was going to use that one eventually. Yeah. Um, here's another one. A lady in Nova beauty. Scotia, a woman found, like, went to a different province, I think, and purchased something and got a dollar bill with her deceased mother's signature on it. <gasps> yeah, that one's crazy. Uh, there's more to that story, but that's the, the short of it. Um, that is crazy. Um, there's a episode of 99% Invisible, the podcast. Mm-hmm. And it's called The Great Bitter Lakes Association. Okay. But it was about these ships that got stuck in this, like isthmus or something for months like international ships from all over the world wow I don't know, it was like a trade dispute or something i don't remember the story sure. but um they um like like formed kind of like this international maritime community because they were all stuck there for a while oh and like would hang out and then like there's this really beautiful moment they have like a live recording of the ship's all singing together on Christmas in their different languages. Oh my the gosh. same song because the melody is the same. Right. And I was going to use that on Pentecost. It's like yeah, speaking tongues. Yeah. So, I don't know. Just recollecting, remembering the sermon illustrations. That's the all-time best. Yes. Those are really good ones. I'm trying to think if I have a favorite out of all of those. The, the grandfather and the grandkids is like really... The language one? Yeah, the language one is, yeah. like, really, really good. The, I think the one that probably is the most, like, for me, really captures something. And it's so interesting because I feel like it's not really... I mean, the ending is good, but it's not really one of the happy ones, is the priest... Moving the fence. Moving the fence. Yeah. Well, because that's... Like, is that not... The heart of Jesus' ministry. Right, yeah. Is moving the fences. Yeah. And just thinking about that, like... But also thinking, like, what conviction? Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like, that's not just, like, Mm -hmm. someone who's not doing self-reflection. You know what I mean? Like... Mm -hmm. And just, like, reminding yourself that it's okay. Like, even if you... Even if you, like, make some sort of, like, mistake or whatever, that it's, like, mm-hmm. you can always go back. Yeah. And then the kids, the one the ones about your kids are always really funny and cute. Well, those are easier to tell because they're my stories, right? Right, yeah. But um, I agree. Those are great joy. Well, Taylor. Well, Joshua. We're at an hour and eight minutes and we haven't <gasps> talked to Holly yet. Oh, my gosh. So we'll get her on the pipeline later this week. Yeah. And we'll... Give people maybe a final two-hour episode. Yeah, that'll so. be great. All right. Well, hey, this has been so much fun to do together. Yeah, And it let's is. do it again in the future. Okay, let's do it. All right. Well, listeners, for now, we say good Bye. Bye.